0: Ladies and gentlemen, Benall of
1: America! And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Benall. Friends, this is Tim Benal of BenalofAmerica.com with the third annual BOA Audio Baseball special. Very exciting weekend here for me. I love getting back in touch with all my friends who appear here on the program. The same five superstars that we had last year are back to discuss more baseball, the 2009 season predictions, and a host of other stuff. I'll get into all that in a little bit. But suffice it to say, we've got the band back together here for the third annual baseball special. For those people who are kvetching right now that we're doing a show about baseball featuring all these huge names in the world of esoterica, I apologize. I hope you do still stick around and check out the episode, because there are some great esoteric nuggets to be found in here, especially during the Lauren Coleman segment of the show. Chances are some of them have already shut off the interview or didn't even download it, but some folks may be on the bubble and listening. So I'll just let them know that we will be back to pure esoterica next week with Micah A. Hanks of The Gralian Report talking about a whole bunch of ufological and cryptozoological topics. Come on back for that if you are not a baseball fan and you're shutting off the interview right now. Anyway, now that those folks are gone, We can get down to business and talk about some baseball on the program. As I said, we've got a collection of esoteric all-stars, and they're stepping away from the worlds of UFOs, Bigfoot, and ghosts. And instead, they're going to be letting their hair down for some discussion on the world of baseball. I can probably tell you that minute for minute, this is easily the most jam-packed with laughs episode of BOA Audio that we've done in quite some time, if not ever. Really, we cut loose and just pretty much laugh our asses off throughout the show talking about baseball and all kinds of other stuff that comes up along the way. I can't even get into all the different stuff we're going to be talking about, but let me just give you sort of an overview of some of the segments that you're going to be hearing today on the program. UFO historian Richard Dolan's going to be talking about his beloved New York Yankees. They made a ton of off-season news, and we're going to cover just about all the different stories that involve the Yankees over the past few months. Documentary filmmaker and soon-to-be cable TV ghost hunter, Paul Kimball, is going to muse about the world baseball classic. Very interesting stuff there from Paul. Cryptozoologist extraordinaire and keen observer of the copycat effect, Lauren Coleman, will be discussing the Masonic origins of baseball. Just truly mind-blowing stuff there. We have a link up on the show page where people can get to the article that Lauren wrote with the baseball special in mind, discussing the Masonic origins of baseball. He's going to be talking about that here on the program, but you can read all the fascinating background material at his blog, copycateffect.blogspot.com. After that, we're going to be hearing from BOA Audio's beloved crackpot historian, Adam Rightly. He's going to be analyzing his San Francisco Giants, and somehow he's going to end up talking about the NBA. So if you like basketball, you're going to get a little extra Bonus there from Adam talking about basketball. And finally, we wrap it up with the historic sixth appearance on the program by Ufological Pundit Greg Bishop. He's going to be talking about his L.A. Dodgers and the experience of going to games. He goes to a ton of games out there in L.A., and we're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff that happen when you go to games, especially the things he hates the most, beach balls and the wave. Very hilarious segment there with Greg Bishop. Plus, of course, tons and tons more just jam-packed baseball discussion with these five great guests. To top it all off, much like last year, we're all going to share our predictions for the 2009 baseball season. We definitely want you to be a part of the banal League, as Rich Dolan calls it. Go to the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com, and post your picks in the official thread for this year's contest. We want to get as many people as possible to participate. I think we're right on pace for where we were last year. But we're going to keep the contest open for one more week for anybody who hears the show here and gets inspired and wants to participate in the 2009 BOA Audio Baseball Special Predictions Contest. Are you ready to match wits against these folks? I think you are. Come on over to USV.com, join up, and join in on the festivities. Since there's five guests, we're not going to do bios here, so I think folks pretty much know who Rich Dolan, Lauren Coleman, Paul Kimmel, Greg Bishop, and Adam Go Rightly are. So hopefully you're not completely lost as we get into the episode. They've all been on the show numerous times already, and you can find a plethora of interviews with all these great folks in the BOA Audio Archive. And there you'll be able to check out their bios. Unlike last year, where I saved my predictions to the end of the program, this time I will give you my predictions at the beginning of the show since I discussed them with the guests throughout the episode. So here are my picks for the 2009 Major League Baseball season. In the American League East, I have the Boston Red Sox. In the American League Central, the Detroit Tigers. In the American League West, the Oakland A's. For the American League Wild Card, I've got the Tampa Bay Rays. My picks in the National League are as follows. National League East, the New York Mets. National League Central, the Chicago Cubs. National League West, Arizona Diamondbacks. National League Wild Card, Philadelphia Phillies. And facing off in the World Series will be the Boston Red Sox, who I predict will be the AL Champions, and the Chicago Cubs, who are my pick for the National League Champions. And my prediction for the World Series champion in 2009 is the Boston Red Sox. I know, I know. It's kind of a Homer pick. I apologize for that. But thankfully, I'm not the only one who picked the Red Sox to go all the way. And I tried to stay away from the Homer pick last year and really backed the Detroit Tigers. And they burned me big time, folks. They burned me huge. So this year, I'm just going back to basics. I'm going old school, going Homer style. And I really like what the Boston Red Sox have done. With the organization here in the 2009 offseason, I feel like their pitching will carry them through the season and all the way to the World Series, if not the championship. And so, without any further ado, let's play ball. These interviews were recorded over the course of one week from March 26th to April 1st, 2009. It's the third annual baseball special on BOA Audio Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the third annual BOA Audio Baseball special batting leadoff. Here is last year's champion of the predictions contest, esteemed ufology historian. He is uh, Richard Dolan. Welcome back to the program. Congratulations on winning the championship last year in the predictions contest.
2: Thank you, Tim. And let me just say that of all of the... Uh, really cool things that have happened in my life, writing my book, UFOs in the National Security State, having a couple of great kids, traveling to conferences. The title of champion for the 2008 baseball season in the Bin All League is actually number one on my list. <laughs> the best thing I've ever done is, is won the championship, the prediction for your league, so. <laughs> Let me just
1: say. Well, I really appreciate that—not not just all the guests, but uh, posters on the forum too. So you, you really—you uh, bested quite a field. Uh, nine different competitors, all. Wow! Year, all the wow! Day. Wow! That's yeah. great. That's yes. Great. So nine in total. Uh, <laughs> guests, forum posters. Hopefully, we'll get even more turnout this year. I don't think
2: I realize that. That's that's really cool. <laughs> I'm psyched. In your face.
1: <laughs> there you go, there you go. Lauren Coleman's already sending me his picks uh, as we speak, so uh, it's right. it's heating up this year. It's going to be exciting.
2: All right, cool, cool.
1: To get into some baseball talk here, it seems like your beloved New York Yankees were, you know, the biggest story of the off season. I guess that <laughs> happens all the time, but
2: well, it does, it does. But this this year, I think there were particular issues going on. Um, you know, you've got the whole Yankee Stadium mess, which really bothers me. I think it bothers a lot of people. This is a $1.3 billion stadium that they've redone. And, yes, the old Yankee Stadium, it had, it had reached its time. But I think the um, the real controversy about the new stadium, of course, is who's paying for it. And uh, it's, it's, even I, as a longtime, lifelong Yankee fan, I have a real hard time with the fact that this is now being – uh, carried solely by New York City taxpayers, you know.
1: Yeah, it's pretty uh, strange because they're like a billion-dollar organization. They, they, have like, they have
2: money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I they spend half a billion dollars just about in their payroll for the coming year, uh, and they're crying poverty, I guess, to the uh, city of New York because they, gosh, you know, they need this bond issue put forward to just pony up all this money for them, and and it's just. Uh, I think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way.
1: Yeah, it's pretty sad, especially this time with the economy and everything like that. Well, not only
2: that, there's – I mean there's been a lot of political talk about this. Uh, Dennis Kucinich, one of my favorite political guys, uh, a guy with a a UFO connection Mm -hmm. incidentally, and uh, just someone who I think has has had a lot of intelligent things to say over the years, was also really all over the Yankees and over New York City's government on this. There's a lot of uh, waste – that Kucinich has pointed out, uh, abuse of public dollars. Uh, there's some talk about the actual construction materials going into the stadium. Is it second rate? Some of the concrete uh, was said to be not not that good. Oh, man. Um, I, I don't know. It's like your and big that, dig. And then not only that, but uh, the, the ticket prices for Yankee Stadium. And it's just – I mean, the Red Sox, I mean, that's your your team, but they have incred- they I think they had the most expensive ticket prices. But Yankee Stadium now might be – rivaling that. Uh, bleacher seats, they don't call it bleachers now, they call it grandstand, gone from $25 to $85. Oh, wow. That's ridiculous. $85 for, for a seat that really, uh, I mean, you're far, far away. Yeah, the nose bleeds. And there's a lot of visibility issues uh, from what I've heard, uh, primarily because of the inclusion of so many premium uh, seats and, and the restaurant, there's a restaurant in there and, and so there, a lot of the uh, the less expensive seats, which are still expensive, don't have the good the good visibility that you would want.
1: Oh, man, that's uh, this is only
2: what I've read, but so it's distressing. You know, in my office, there's a, I have a a nice large framed black and white photograph of a bunch of kids playing baseball, and the photograph is from 1905, and it's actually from not too far from where I currently live in western New York State. And it's a great picture. It's of this, this kid swinging the bats, a bunch of kids sitting around, a bunch of houses in the background, there's a big field. And that was when baseball was the true national pastime. I mean, you would pass your time playing the game. And, and throughout most of baseball's history, it was a game that was affordable for a working guy or working income person to go see. And the, uh, the sad thing is that baseball, like every other sport, has reflected the what I would say is a growing stratification of American society and economics. So we're at a position now where, I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up in the 70s, my grandfather, who never had a lot of money, would take me regularly, and, and some of my cousins, to Yankee Stadium and to Shea Stadium. And uh, I can tell you there'd be no way that we would ever be able to afford to do that if the situation were now. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It would be impossible. So I think that's said, and and the thing that I really wonder about for the the future of baseball for this year, you were talking about the economic crisis. It's really it's severe. Uh, people are getting hit hard, and I I really have to wonder how this will affect attendance in Major League Baseball this year, not just for the Yankees, but for all teams.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I think that's going to be one of the big stories doing. of the
1: year. Uh, that's going to be you know we're going to be following that story like all season. I think is
2: will baseball go the way of, of the the financial markets, in other words, this inflated bubble, essentially, that's ready to pop. And I, I, I have to wonder. I mean, I, I would hate to see it in a way because I love the game of baseball to this day. Um, but I also, I, I think that when you look at the amount of money going into this entertainment, that's really what it is. It's just entertainment. It it seems inherently unstable and unsustainable. So uh, we'll just have to, I guess, wait and see.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I'm not getting any major league tickets anytime soon. I can tell you that. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I won't be. Well, around here, <laughs> you can't unless
1: someone gives them to you. It's pretty hard to get tickets anyway oh, around right. here. So. Yeah. But then again, I saw uh, maybe like a month ago or something. They said that there were still tickets available uh, at Fenway for games like in April and May. It was news. Like that was the stunning part of it. Ah, awesome. like, maybe is. this
2: is maybe that's right. So it's possible, even you know, places like Boston where there's. Uh, I mean, such a long history of great baseball and, and some money, too. Um, people are still uh, tightening their
1: belts. Yeah, well, there's kind of like a backlash against the Red Sox a little bit because they've gotten really commercialized, too, with the Red Sox Nation and a lot of the other stuff they have going oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, the, you know, it's like, all right, give me a break. Well,
2: I have a feeling, though. I mean, you know, Yankees and Red Sox um, are two teams for this coming year that I still think are going to be highly very competitive, especially the Red Sox, I think look really fabulous. Um, And the Yankees, even though they've they've had the setback with um, Alex Rodriguez and his um, labrum in his hip or something like that, I think the Yankees are going to be very competitive. And so for teams that are winning, I I have a feeling they'll find a way to bring the people out to watch no matter how expensive they are. We'll see.
1: Thing. Yeah, and then when you know, like, uh, well, the Red Sox and the Yankees, then when they go to the other cities and stuff, they they seem to draw more fans, and then they get a piece of that anyway. So right, you right, know. Right. Now the Yankees did make like the three biggest off-season signings. It seemed like they, in a way, I think they kind of outbid themselves because they signed these guys, and then all of a sudden, like, no one was getting signed for any money after.
2: No, that's really true. But but uh, you know, forget the money for a moment. I mean, yes, they. God, it's unbelievable. They spent for uh, Sabatia, Burnett, uh, A.J. Burnett, and uh, Mark Texier, I think are the three big ones you're talking about. Yeah. Sabatia, I think, is just a, a monster. The guy's a beast. And I I see nothing stopping him from having a great season, except, of course, the roll of the dice. With pitchers, you never know. Anyone can have an off season, But this guy looks like the real deal to me. He's just a, he's a monster out there. He's always been a scary pitcher uh, whenever I saw him pitching. And, uh, I'm glad he's, I, I, think that he'll do very well, uh, for the Yankees. Uh, anything can happen. Burnett, I think, looks almost as good. And he hasn't been as, as strong a pitcher, but he's a high strikeout type of guy. He's, uh, I think he can be a very effective pitcher as well. And, uh, Texier has always been a good, uh, ball player. I think now that Giambi's gone and Giambi hasn't done anything for the Yankees for a while, I think they needed a good first baseman and, uh, and he's, I mean, they're three quality ball players.
1: Yeah, right. they're no pushovers by any means. I do think actually, I think Burnett will do the best. Well, you can't really compare like the two pitchers to the first baseman, but I think Burnett will be the breakout one of them all because he's oh, really? battle tested from the because he came from Toronto, uh, so he's been in the A at least for a while. I have a feeling. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have a feeling Sabathia will end up kind of uh, in uh, in over his head at some point in the season. But then again, he was really good for the Indians a couple years ago, so
2: he's not. That's actually when I remembered him. Yeah. I, I watch a lot more American League ball and national league. But uh yeah. yeah, I think the guy's the guy's good. So um the Yankee rotation has the potential to be outstanding. Once again, every year with the Yanks, uh on paper they have the potential to have a great starting four starting five. And it doesn't always work out that way. Usually it doesn't work out that way. But I think once again they have the potential to have a an outstanding starting rotation. Uh, if the guys stay healthy and if they produce the way they're expected, you've also got got Wang as a pitcher and you got Jabba Chamberlain now.
0: Yeah, I, I like
2: Jabba. I think he's uh, got tremendous talent, and uh, I'm still waiting for Philip Hughes to do something. I don't think he's uh, out of the picture. Yeah, I know you were
1: you were uh, you were bullish on Hughes uh, a couple of years ago. So I know when we first met, actually uh, at the at the at the UFO Crash Conference, and we talked baseball. To, can I the talk about Hughes
2: then? Wow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, he was about such a, a, while. a great minor league prospect. He just had it all together. He didn't really put it together the way people had hoped, but he did throw. Um, you know, he threw some great games actually. He pitched some great games when he came up, but he wasn't consistent. So he's got he's got it in him to be an excellent pitcher. And I, I haven't really followed him this spring training. I don't know what he's been doing.
1: So. Yeah, I haven't heard too much about him. Now, uh, where, where do you fall on the? on the job at Chamberlain thing, and, and, and actually, as a Red Sox fan, he's like my least favorite Yankee, <laughs> other than Nate well, rod so. Yeah. He's got, just a, he's got a weird thing about him. I don't know. It kind of rubs me the wrong way, and he seems to have a feud with Kevin Euclid. So I don't know. He's almost beat yeah, him, like, three times. So I, it's know, a, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. It's kind of a weird well, thing, but you need those villains anyway in the rivalry, so it's I fine with me. So, I think so, and I like
2: seeing a good kind of nasty pitcher out there. I mean, look, when when Pedro Martinez was, was uh, out there with the Red Sox, he was the scariest pitcher to me oh yeah and and but I've never held against Pedro that he was he he would throw inside the guys, and that's just what a great pitcher should do i, I don't think he should be throwing a guy's heads. I would agree with you there, uh but anyway, as far as job, I think he's I, I think he needs to be tried out as a starter uh with anyone with that level of potential um i mean it, it there are relievers. Who who can be as valuable or more valuable than a great starter, but they're very few. And I think, uh, generally speaking, you're going to get more innings. You'll certainly get more innings out of a starter. I think you'll get more value out of him. So I I think it's a good idea, actually, to put him in as a starter. He was a starter in his minor league career, anyway, so it's not like anything he's not used to. Yeah. I would just say give him a shot. Um, And and increasingly, I think what we're finding is that there are pitchers who can make the transition. Uh, Hey, uh, the Red Sox, John Smoltz, is a one of the best examples of a guy who's been a great starter and a great reliever, and incidentally, I'm hoping that Smoltz can um, can have a nice uh, impact for the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, well so even though I'm a Yankees fan, I like
2: to see great ball players do well, and uh, I think Smoltz is such a class act. He's such a great ball player. Lots of the whole thing. I would like to see him end his career
1: well with the Red Sox. Yeah, I, I think uh, he, it's going to be exciting to see how he does for the Red Sox and in, in the AL East. Now, speaking of the AL East, what about? Uh, I'm I'm sure they came out of nowhere for you as well, the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, last oh, man. year, man, uh, <laughs> you know, um, Paul Kimmel and I were saying how they need to fold the Florida teams because they never win, and <laughs> and the next thing you know, Tampa Bay breaks out. And, oh my God,
2: that was that was a shocker. Uh, a really great shocker, and, and I was so psyched for a lot of reasons. I mean, they're they're perennial underdogs. They're always a young team, and I was a huge fan of Rockaball Deli, especially after we I learned about the it, this bizarre um, kind of mitochondrial disease yeah. that he has. And and by the way, I'm really hoping he does great with the Red Sox this year. But yeah, I was really excited for the for the Rays. Maybe they. Um, Reversed their own curse when they got the word devil out of their teammate.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that, that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I don't know. I don't think though that they are likely to uh, to take the Yankees and Red Sox both out again this year. I mean, they got the they got it past the Yankees. It's true. I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, making a prediction, but I I think that the, the Rays are going to be hard pressed to break into the playoffs. It's going to be tough. They could get a wild card. They're certainly not. I don't think they're going to take first. Um, but I think they're going to get squeezed out.
1: Yeah, like I was saying, uh, like before we started the thing, how I, I was agonizing over my picks. They were definitely they were one of the ones that were giving me the most, the biggest headache. It's a, gonna, tough they're,
2: they a tough one. They are tough calls. Because you never yeah. know.
1: They could be they could be like the Colorado Rockies, where you know they go all the way to the World Series. They're the darling team, and then you know they can't get it together the next year or. You know, maybe everybody right. kind of underestimated them for so long in the first half of the season. Now everyone's going to be giving them their best shot. So well, their maybe problem won't be is able to hold up.
2: their problem is that they have the long-term issue of just not spending a lot of money on payroll. Yeah. So you can you can do this. You can be competitive with a really great young team that can crystallize. You know, for a couple of years there, and so it's possible they can be competitive again. They probably will be. But the Yankees and Red Sox just, I mean, reload, reload, reload. Both. Both of those teams dumped so much money, uh, into payroll and they got a lot of great new talent for the coming year and, and the, the Rays kind of stood pat, you know, because yeah. they had to. They didn't have much of a choice. So I, I think they're going to be hard pressed. I, on a, a storybook level, I think it would be a great, great story for the Rays to make Make a run for it again. Um, let's see if they do. But.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Now, uh, let me see if there's anything else we really should talk about. Is there anything? Steroids. Any other... Can we do steroids? No, we haven't touched on that, and that's the other <laughs> Yankees related story, because it seemed like, know. you know, the A Rod thing was just huge.
2: Obviously. Well, let's face it, this is why the Yankees won all those World Series in the 90s. We were secretly kind of <laughs> pumped up on steroids, and there you go. We know it's the truth. Uh, seriously, I think that. I think like any other fan, I I don't like seeing the prevalence and the effect that steroids have had on the game. But, you know, this this whole thing that blew up over Alex Rodriguez and his admission about steroids, I mean, good grief. The guy was taking steroids when Major League Baseball still had not made any determination on the issue. Right. That's the bottom line, all right? You can get all over him if they're saying you cheated, you did this, you did that, but we know for sure that there are hundreds of ballplayers doing
0: it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's not just a case of some borderline guy trying to make the team. That's a load of garbage. You get great players and you got mediocre players and you got everyone else trying to get an edge. Mm-hmm. And this is what they do. And when you've got millions of dollars at stake, how can anyone expect otherwise? This is economic survival for every one of these ballplayers. And it includes a guy like Rodriguez. People would say, and I'm thinking of Roger Clemens here too, who got paid to with and Barry Bonds for that matter. They, I've heard the, the argument that, well, the great players, why should they do it? Because they're great, they don't need it. And that's just ridiculous. Uh, when a great player sees another ball player who doesn't have that level of talent suddenly shoot up ahead, I mean, there's a lot of professional pride there, and there's money at stake too. Yeah. So, so these players, of course, are gonna to try to get whatever edge they can, and I just think it's absurd to fault a ball player for trying to do this. The, the rule is, I mean, the thing should be you lay down rules, you lay down testing, and then you enforce it. And starting – that didn't happen until uh, 2004. Yeah, I think. No something form? like that, yeah. So uh, Rodriguez said I did it from 01 to 03. I did it for those three seasons. Look, he probably did it for more than that. We'll never know. Uh, but my attitude is just leave, leave the guy alone. We all have to know that he can't have been. The only excellent ball player to have
1: done this. Absolutely. Now, do you think they should release the other 103 names from the list that they got his name off of? Now, now that it's out, I, I'm kind of torn on it. But I almost feel like if they just did, maybe a lot of the, instead of having like this kind of scandal oh, come up every yeah. three months, or you know, you know, there's yeah. someone else yeah. going to get give leads the brother a that. break.
2: You know, um, yeah, maybe I, I haven't thought that one through that much. Uh, if that's a good idea or not, but it may not be a bad idea.
1: Yeah, it's uh, tough cause, but, like, but, they took it and they said it was going to be confidential, so then it's kind of unfair to release the names now. The guys know. who really annoy me in
2: all of this is Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig. Just, I just get ticked off when I see this guy. He's so holier than thou. And you just know that – You know, I don't think the steroids issue mattered a bit to him. Everyone knew in the 1990s that the players were juiced. Yeah, uh, Selig didn't talk about it, didn't do a thing about it, didn't care until it all blew up politically. And – um the only thing that really truly bothers me about the steroid business is the fact that the United States Congress has gotten involved in this. I think that uh that the federal government has absolutely no business uh making any determination on Major League Baseball steroids issue at all. I don't think it's any of their business. And um and the fact is that you've got guys like Barry Bonds and Clemens potentially doing time in prison for God's sake, over this. And to me, that's just uh more wrong than I can imagine yeah. so it's one thing for a guy to, to illegally juice but who's, who is he actually harming you know to have have them now be in danger of perjuring themselves in front of a federal uh, a federal jury I guess Congress would be a federal jury I mean to me this is just completely out of control yeah, and yeah. I, I think the government like it, like it should with so many things involving invasion of our personal rights should also get the hell out of Major League Baseball alright there you go very pre- <laughs> forceful statement. You know, the thing with with baseball and me is, I've had a lifelong love of baseball. I grew, I like probably everyone else on on your guest, you know, talking about it, like yourself. I mean, I played it all my life. I enjoy it. I I think I'll be playing nineteenth century ball again this year. I took a break last year, but I think I'll, I'm going to be back this year. But I have, I've, I'm having a harder and harder time seeing the game the way that. I used to see it when I was younger and uh I I would like to see the game get some kind of semblance back to um sanity in terms of how it's run.
0: Yeah. I I guess I,
2: I don't I'm not happy with the way Major League Baseball is being run. That being said, um I'm still interested in the teams. I still like watching the players. I still enjoy watching a good ball game. See, so, yeah, I have given some thought about about my predictions and what I think who's up, who's down for the year. Um, All right.
1: Are you ready to roll into predictions now? I'm ready. So
2: let's do it. I was looking over my predictions, and the thing that that's disturbing to me is that my predictions I don't think are going to be that radically different from what I predicted last year.
1: Yeah, that happened so, with
2: me too. I think too. I'm wondering okay. if I'm if I'm uh, going into some kind of hardened obsolescence, you know, <laughs> hardening of the mental arteries with baseball. But, <laughs> So anyway, let, let let's roll with it. All right, Ready?
1: let's go with the uh, the hotly contested AL East first, which I think yeah. will end up being like the tiebreaker of all the whole thing in in, in the end. I,
2: I think the AL East is once again the most interesting division in baseball, and and really the best division in baseball in terms of talent. I I see the Red Sox coming out on top this year. I know last year I picked the Yankees on top, um, and I think the Yankees could have been on top last year, but they got they got some unlucky injuries.
0: Yeah. But I, I'm looking
2: at the Red Sox, and I just see them. They look really, really good to me. They got great starting pitching, uh, at least potentially, and I think they've got an outstanding lineup once again. I just like the way the Red Sox looks this year, um, so I would have to pick them for number one. Okay. I do see uh, second place and the wild card going to the Yankees, and I see them beating out the uh, the Rays for that. All right. Uh, the Yankees, in my opinion, are really one cut below the Red Sox in every major aspect of the game, and not a big cut, just a, a little bit of a cut below.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know. Having said that, it, it could be reversed because, as you know, I mean, fortune can change, and there's the roll of the dice, and, and things can happen. But I would predict the Yankees second, as and they would be the wild card, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, it's going to be a wild race. Uh... Yeah, and I would like to see the Rays make a run for it. and They, they probably will. Um, and who knows, even a team like the Toronto Blue Jays might surprise me and, and uh, make a run for it. The Blue Jays aren't. Usually a bad team. Uh, they often find a way of putting a competitive team out there. They're just they're in a division where it's just they're overmatched in
1: general. I think. Yeah, yeah, but there's always that breakout team every year it seems that makes the players that you didn't see coming out of. It.
2: Yes, yes. So. Well, I think that team might be in the AL Central, although they're not my pick to win. I've been uh, seeing a lot of talk about the Kansas City Royals. I've been, been really been bullish. Them?
1: Yes, I've been really bullish on the Royals for uh, about since. Like last summer, but I'm not picking them either yet. But I think yeah, yeah, honest. I
2: I, I want to pick the Royals. I want to say let's go KC, but I just – I can't see it happening for them. Um I am going to go with the Minnesota Twins. Okay. And they're always – you know, the usually thing about the Twins, no one ever picks the Twins. And every year, the Twins find a way to surprise people. And I was rooting hard for the Twins last year, and they ended up in that first-place tie with the White Sox, and they got beat. And uh oh, just – that was that was almost more painful than to see the Yankees get beat out of the uh, playoffs. I really wanted the Twins in. I think the Twins have a way of surprising people, and they, the Central is one of these divisions where it really can go any number of ways, because uh, I could see the Indians doing well. Um, and I'd hate to see the, the White Sox, after having such a good year last year, I'd hate to pick them so low, but I... I, I'm just not sure about them. And then there's the Tigers, who disappointed everyone last year. Yeah. They still have good ballplayers on there. They could be a surprise. But I'm I'm going to go with the Twins and the AL Central. Okay. And uh, cross my fingers for them.
1: All right. Now the AL West.
2: AL West, I see the uh, Angels running away with the AL West. Wow. I don't see anyone touching them. I think the Angels are a great team. Wow. I, I like the athletics. Really, you're surprised. You don't think the Angels are that, that good?
1: I don't see them running away with it. No, I, I'm picking the Oakland A's actually. So well, we're just yeah. that's good though. I mean, we need. Yeah. All right, well,
2: I like the A's, and uh, I'm a huge Billy Bean fan. I think he's a fantastic general manager. So,
1: but the A's could like—you know—they—they they could end up selling off half the team by the All-Star break, and I'll be sitting here with my <laughs> with my AL West pick, being like, "What the? You know, what are you
2: doing? I have uh, you picked. You've I, just I just, sold off the team." I—I I don't know. I think the Angels is such a strong team. You know, I don't think they'll be stronger than the Red Sox this year, but the Angels look very, very good. Uh, at least from what I've seen. Oh yeah, they're definitely
1: good. I figured that was kind of one of my risk picks anyway, and uh, so I figured because uh, I like a lot of the
2: signings that Oakland's made this off well, I like. I, well, maybe I should take a look closer at the Athletics. I think that they're they're always a they're always an interesting team. They're like the Twins in the sense that they always find a way to make a lot. Out of a little,
1: yeah, exactly. And
2: uh, so they're always a, a perennial favorite for me too. But okay. I, I'm going to go with the Angels in the
1: West. Sounds good. All right. So I mean, got your wild card picks, the
2: Yankees. So we'll... that's right. I think the Yankees are going to get the wild card. We'll move into the National League. National League East. Um, I'm going with the Mets. Okay. I know the Mets have, uh, you know, choke written all over them for the last couple of years. But I think the thing that I like about the Mets is they still have a very strong lineup. They got a good lineup. Uh, their biggest problem last year was the bullpen. That just didn't add a hold yep. a uh, lead, and I, I think they've addressed that extremely well. I mean,
1: exactly. Just you and I biggest... have perfectly symmetrical thoughts on that. That's yeah. why I picked the Mets, too. Same reason.
2: And, and I like the Phillies. I, I think that the Phillies still have a very strong team. Probably a lot of people would pick them for the uh, wild card. I'm not sure that I'm picking them for the wild card. I think they're going to get locked out this year. But I go with the Mets in the East. Okay. Uh, National League Central. I, mean, I have to go with the Chicago Cubs. I think they've got a very strong starting pitching. I think they've got a very strong lineup. Um, I, I don't really see any of the teams out there that really blew me away.
1: No, the only team I've heard much buzz about uh, in, a, in a Kansas City Royals type of way is the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Oh, wow. Well, so, to watch for you know, in the future. Interesting. Yeah, I heard a lot of that during the the World Baseball Classic cause a lot of their plays were for different teams and stuff, and I kept hearing about the Reds like everywhere. So
2: I hear a little bit about that regarding the Marlins, actually, uh, You know, going back to the NL East, and I'm wondering if the Marlins might surprise people too. Yep,
1: yep, that's another team that I was sort of uh, on the fence about Yeah, my picks.
2: Yeah. But I think with the NL Central, I just have to go with the Cubs. They, they look... At least on paper, they seem to be poised to be easily the best team in that division. So yeah, that they were
1: heartbreaking last year in the playoffs because they yeah, they had like always. the best record in the National League, and I, then I oh. love the Cubbies. I'm a, I have to. The Cubbies are
2: a an emotional favorite for me. Yeah, they're like my National
1: League team. So
2: <laughs> yeah, so whenever whenever they're close, I got to go with the Cubs. In the American, the nationally west, this is a tough one because there are two teams that I, I like for different reasons. I got you got the Dodgers and you got the Diamondbacks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, I had the same debate going here. Yep,
2: um, I, the Diamondback pitching looks really good to me, and the Dodgers lineup looks really good to me, and uh, I have a hard time deciding who I, I I'm going to pick first. Uh, I think the Dodgers look a little bit better to me. They got a good bullpen, and they got some pretty good starters from little that I've I've learned about them. So I guess I would go with the Dodgers first, but I would pick the D backs for uh wildcard. All right.
1: Sounds good. Dicks, Dicks. So we've got the Red Sox, Twins, Angels, Yankees, and then the Mets, the Cubs, the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks.
2: Yeah, and by the way, i are gonna have a World Series prediction here.
1: Yep, yep, we need your American League champion and your National League champion, so go for
2: it. Can't believe I'm doing this, but we're gonna go with Red Sox and
1: Cubbies. Wow, you and I are on the same page this year. Are we, are we?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, look, wouldn't it be... There's it's the a dream World series. series. Everybody. There's the World Series. Yeah. And, and if, we, if we get to that, i got to go with the Cubs. Oh, okay. I have to go with the Cubs. Red That's Sox true. have won their World Series the last couple of years, and they've earned the right to get in there. <laughs> so I was actually very happy to see the Red Sox win a couple of World Series. It's the Cubs' turn. That's how I look at it. If the Cubs get in there, they got to win.
1: That's pretty close to how I have it except uh wow. yeah, I have uh Detroit and the A's and actually our American Leagues are quite different but actually we're we're pretty far apart on a lot of them but it, <laughs> as it gets closer to the end there the Sox and the Cubs do face off in the World Series so
2: All right then. All right. All right, we have well, different means but we get to the same end. Exactly.
1: There you go, exactly. All right, well we'll wrap it up here. Hey, I really got to thank you for coming back on the show again. Oh wait, wait a minute now. What, this is probably the first interview you've done uh, in about 4 or 5 years here where somebody has tried to end it without asking you about the book. So <laughs>
2: Oh, right, right, right. What,
1: what's what's going on with uh UFOs and the national security state too? Well, uh you know, everywhere I go uh, yeah. I
2: hear about it. So. I have finished writing it. It's it's done. Uh, the only thing I haven't finished is, is I'm writing the conclusion. Um and I'm just tweaking the very, very last bits of the final chapter, but it's 500-plus uh, pages done. All I'm doing right now is polishing it up, um, going through some of the earlier chapters for the final edit, and I've, I've been sending it out to a couple of readers already. So the book is going to be out this year, no question, uh, probably within a few months. I think by the summertime it will be bound and printed and available for purchase. Awesome, awesome. So great. And it takes the story of the UFO cover-up Uh, this is the second volume in what is going to be a historical trilogy. So the second volume takes the cover-up to the end of the Cold War in 1991. It's a good breaking-off point, and I'm actually very happy with the book. I think it's, uh, the type of research that's gone into it, I think, is is a bit superior to what I did in the first book. Happy with the first book, but I think the second book's a little bit better. And the analysis that goes into the second book is, uh, I, I believe that there's going to be a lot of things in this new book that are going to turn a lot of heads.
1: Really interesting. Yes, I do. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been really reinvigorated about UFO history. Uh, I read Firestorm and did a lengthy interview with Andropov about. Oh, very good. The James McDonald years and just
2: have fascinating been, story.
1: Yeah, just totally back into that 66-71 period. Sounds fascinating. And then with this new book he got coming out. You know, it takes it, it
2: takes it from there. In fact, one of the things in the new book is it doesn't just deal with the history of great UFO sightings, and there's a lot of that, or, or military sightings, there's a lot of that, or even military policy, where there's a lot of that too. But one of the, uh, the things that I believe will surprise a lot of readers is, uh, there's a lot of treatment that I took out, uh, took to, um, deal with the history of UFO research itself. Awesome. What, so what really happens is you get a sense of how we, uh, our own perceptions of this phenomenon have evolved during the critical period of the 1970s and 80s, it really turned out to be a turning point in a lot of ways so that by the end of the period UFO research was looking at this topic in a very different way than it had been in the early 70s and and how you get from one point to the next is a fascinating story how the field just really expanded and became much more professional than it had been before and also much more contentious and how by the end of the period, by the early 90s, that There had been a kind of cultural unity in a sense of UFO researchers. Well, that was totally gone uh, by the end of the period. And you know, how did that all happen? And uh, is a big part of the story of this. So uh, it was a, it's a. In other words, anyone looking to uh, get into the history of UFO research, I think that this book might be really the first uh, attempt to sort of give it a treatment at all. You know, I don't really, I'm not aware of any other books that really deal with the history of UFO research per se.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it because, as I said, I'm, I've been really interested in that whole part of the UFO enigma for such a long time, and, and uh, I was just thinking it's been like four years since you and I did a UFO interview, so we definitely have to do one. Uh, yeah, I look
2: forward to it. I, I think um, there'll certainly be a lot to, um, to say about it. I've already written the introduction of this book. I've sent it out to a number of readers, and I've gotten great feedback on it. That introduction will probably be available on my website in the near future Awesome. Uh, as a PDF download, so um, – I think it'll give a very uh good overview uh, of the kind of work that I've tried to do in this book. It deals with all the topics from uh, the sightings themselves to the structure of secrecy, the structure of power behind the secrecy to the extent that I can understand it. And then some very controversial topics, whether they're abductions or crop circles or military abductions or, um, you know, the Nazi legacy, uh, to what extent that's relevant, or... uh you know, Sounds the amazing. Rumor, the rumor mill, the rumor mill dealing with uh, human alien deals and, and the whole bit—it's all in there i nice. try to deal with it as, in as a detached and objective a way as I
1: could. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I know a ton of people are looking forward to it I hear, good, because I still it. That's good because I want to sell all the books. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Well, Great. i gotta I, I got to say thanks, Rich. I really enjoyed this conversation, much like last year. Uh, My pleasure. You know, I did have such a good time doing the baseball special. Like I said, uh, we'll have to talk again sometime in the future here soon. At length on the UFO phenomenon. So thanks Janet. for coming back, and uh, we'll keep you posted on the uh, standings of the of the Banal Baseball
2: League. Yes, indeed. I look forward to it.
3: You're listening to Banal of America Audio.
1: Batting second in the lineup on the third annual BOA Audio Baseball special. The Canadian Idol himself, Paul Kimmel, soon to be starring in a ghost hunting series, which we'll be hearing about at the end of the baseball interview, so stick around for that, folks. And uh, I had the pleasure of hanging out with him once again for his second summer in a row, this time in L.A. of all places, somehow. The Canadian and the Bostonian ended up in L.A. uh, last August, and we got a chance to hang out, so it was good. And I think this is like the first time I've talked to him since then, so it's exciting to have him back here. On the program for the baseball special, his fifth appearance on BOA Audio now. He's joined the Five Timers Club as well. Paul Kimball, welcome back to BOA Audio.
3: Woohoo, Good to be back, Tim. Although, I thought I had joined the Mile High Club, not the Five Timers Club. I'm, I'm actually a little disappointed now that I realize it's not the Mile High Club, but whatever.
1: I don't have any response for that. I know.
3: That's why I like using it. Right off off the bat, it changes the power dynamic
1: between the two of us. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a little thrown off. When we were setting this all up, you wanted to talk about the baseball classic, which is surprising to me in a way because uh, here in America, there was really tepid interest in the baseball classic, but I quite enjoyed it, actually. I I watched a good portion of the games, and you said you watched quite a few of them. You seem to have this vim and vigor for the baseball classic well because you're not quite
3: seeing the best players in the world you're seeing most of them um but because some people are injured or, or some choose not to participate for whatever reason um like anything else you're not seeing all of the best players but it's about as close as you're going to get to seeing the best um, players in the world all there at the same time it's like watching the world cup of soccer which is obviously what major league baseball has patterned the the wbc after yeah and um most Americans, being rather insular people that don't seem to um, always care too much about the world outside them, unless they're bombing it, uh, don't necessarily <laughs> don't necessarily connect too much to things like um, the World Cup of Soccer, unless maybe the Americans make a run into the second round or something. But these ideas of these global international competitions, um, the very fact that, that Major League Baseball says the World Series – you're lucky you have a team from Canada that can maybe, possibly, lend some small amount of credibility to that. But it, you know, it's not the World Series. There are teams and leagues all across the planet in other countries, and I think the closest thing—it's not quite there yet—because as a lot of commentators were pointing out during the WBC this year, you know, it still has a ways to go to work out its, its its sort of format on how it's going to be run, and so you don't have teams like Japan and Korea playing each other five times or something. But The principle is sound, and it's the right idea, and I think if they manage it correctly, you're looking at 10 or 15 years from now, the WBC perhaps not being quite as big as the World Cup of Soccer, but um, being truly about as close as you'll ever get to a a world series of baseball where you can actually say, you know, the the best team made up of the best players from around the world won. And, uh, And I think that's a good thing for baseball. Um you know I think it's the idea that baseball can grow it 's not just the American pastime anymore, although it'll always be rooted in the United States, much the same way that soccer is always going to be rooted in the in the United kingdom um or cricket, but those have become world games, and I think baseball's becoming or has become a worldwide game and uh I think that's you know it 's like hockey with canada it 's rooted here but people play it across the world. I think that's a good thing I think you, the sport needs it. And I think it was nice to see, you know, Donald Fear and, and um, Bud Selig both standing together on the same field, not clawing each other's eyes out, but presenting trophies and, and medals to, uh, to the Japanese and uh, Koreans. And, and, and I think that's good for baseball. It's all good for baseball. So that's why I like the World Baseball Classic. It's the one thing I think that baseball needs to really make it 21st century and, and take it forward into a. a I hate the term, new world order, but a new world order where we're into globalization and, you know, if the internet's breaking down communications and you can talk to somebody in Uzbekistan, well, perhaps not due to censorship, but theoretically you could. Um, but you could certainly talk to somebody in New Zealand all the way across the globe, then, then things like, you know, the, the idea that Major League Baseball has the World Series, I think that's a, a concept that's, that time is probably past or passing. And in the future, I think what you might be headed to is Major League Baseball, and this is what I would hope, maybe being able to claim truly a World Series because it, they would have teams in Tokyo, London, um, well, they already have one in Toronto, but, you know, Seoul, um, Mexico City. Uh, oh, you mean like
1: develop franchises in different countries like and and play in the regular league? hmm uh-huh. Interesting. Absolutely. The NBA is sort of talking about doing that, adding a whole European branch to the NBA.
3: Yeah, well, I think the economics of the sport eventually, um, not today, not tomorrow, you know, not two or three years from now, but we're heading down the road where you've got these mega teams in, in Major League Baseball, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets. I mean, we all know who they are. Mm-hmm. And sure, a team like Tampa Bay or even Philadelphia can, but certainly Tampa Bay, can pop up every now and then. But by and large, that's kind of like – um giving people the vote and then convincing them every 4 years and then convincing them that they actually have a, sh- a say in how the government's run. Doesn't work that way. The you know it's just kind of like here's your one Tampa Bay that gets into the World Series every few years, but now we're going to go back to the Red Sox and the Dodgers and Cubs and all these other mass market teams. And I, I just don't see a a future for teams, you know, in the long run for teams like the Kansas City Royals and and Tampa Bay, those small market teams in 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know where they're going to be and I see things moving more and more towards there's six or seven big teams because there's six or seven big cities in the United States, and it seems natural to me that they would evolve to the next level and enter into a world league where they would play against teams from you know major cities like Tokyo, London, wherever you can find interest. And the World Baseball Classic is a good way to – and I, I honestly think that's what Selig has in mind. And, and I don't think he has it in mind quite the way I do. But if you're going to, if you end up bringing teams like Tokyo into the Major League Baseball eventually, what will happen is you will lose teams in the smaller cities in the U.S. Yeah. They can't compete now; they certainly won't be able to compete then. And then I think the logical thing to happen is to to model it after um, after uh, football in the United Kingdom or soccer, as you, Americans would know it, where you would have a Premier Division. And then you would have a second division and maybe even a third division. And so the Kansas City Royals play in the second division and every year the top team or top two teams in the second division get bumped up to the premier division and the bottom team gets bumped down into the second division. And that allows some movement, but by and large, you know, it creates a more realistic view of how the baseball world is ordered. So I'm looking at, you know, to me the World Baseball Classic potentially is the first step in a radical restructuring that would drive Bob Costas nuts of of how baseball is played um, and organized across the globe and uh, I'm all for it if that's wow. the way it goes
1: this is fascinating I'm really taken aback here by your restructuring plans you could you, you sound like you're running for baseball commissioner or something but I'm intrigued I know they're trying to there's Besides been talking of...
3: George Bush so who would you rather have commissioner <laughs> baseball? well we're yeah, I can just see it now. We're gonna send the Yankees and the Red Sox and we're gonna invade Kazakhstan. Excellent. Very sorry <laughs> sure
1: you can't do that anymore. Now were you disappointed by the, the poor showing of the Canadian team or, or how do you feel about about that, uh, you know, being Canadian and all? I'm disappointed
3: they lost Italy and badly, but you know, the Netherlands uh played. Pretty well, they, uh, got into the second round. You know, so, uh, the Dominican Republic was disappointing. I mean, it, absolutely. Cuba was disappointing. Apparently, um, when the, you know, the Cuban nation went into collective mourning, it's like, how did we not make the finals? Uh, kind of thing. So that, to me, I mean, in Canada, I think it probably registered a bit more than it did in the United States. Um, but, you know, here it wasn't a giant media event either. And I think part of that is organizational. Uh, I think two things have to happen to me. One, you have to have um, a much more streamlined format for playing that's easier to understand. I mean, if, I watched most of the games, and I was going, "Wait a minute, now, okay, what happens if this team wins?"
1: I don't understand. Oh, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, because you couldn't really tell who was playing who next, yeah. and yeah, it was confusing yeah. like that.
3: Simplify it, and I, I think when it'll really, I mean, it's it already has taken off. They had a stadium full of people in Seoul watching the final on you know big screen TV or whatever. But I think you need to play uh, more games. In international settings that matter, so that the finals maybe are not necessarily held on American soil, but I think it'd be really neat if if Team USA made the finals but had to travel to Tokyo to play.
0: Yeah, so that they, would you know be
3: cool. play in Japan in Tokyo for the World Baseball Championship. Uh, and what really Americans might not know this as much, but Canadians certainly do. In 1972, um, our national hockey team. I mean, the, nobody really. Credited the Soviets in terms of hockey that much until this big classic super series in '72, where all the best, you know, most of the best players in, in the NHL back then were Canadians. The Europeans hadn't arrived. There were very few great Americans, so it was mostly Canadians and the Soviets, and they had this this super series in '72 between Canada and the US, U.S.S.R., very much a Cold War kind of thing. And, you know, Canada, some of the games were played here, but then Canada had to go, we were getting beat. (laughs) And so we shocked, the nation was like shocked, and we had to go to Moscow, to the Soviet Union, Um, To the center of the evil empire and actually win sort of a last second kind of uh, victory, just barely to eke out, you know, the sort of um, the victory in the 72 Super Series. But that's what made it exciting. You know, not just that these guys came here, but that we go into their own home and, you know, be like the Americans with baseball. It's their sport. Oh,
1: the Japanese are the champs now, so we have to go to Japan and take it back.
3: And I, you know I think that's that's that would be a great thing for baseball,
1: yeah, that would be cool. I've sort of heard that mentioned in the commentaries afterwards that maybe the winning team should get to host the finals the next year,
3: yeah, I mean that you know they could hold it in Hiroshima and uh, have the the (laughs) Americans show up, play one game in Hiroshima, one game in Nagasaki, and it would be like old times. Oh, boy. I'm I'm sure it would be incredibly popular. But I jest. But there is that (laughs) idea, if you're going to have nation-states playing any sports against each other, there are just natural rivalries, and historically – um, not any more militarily, but economically, certainly. I mean, there's just a built-in natural rivalry between Japan and the United States when it comes to baseball. And for other reasons, there's one between Cuba and the United States. Yeah. So so there's certain countries out there, and China, there's certain countries out there that want to beat the Americans over the head with a stick. Uh, the Netherlands probably doesn't care too much about it, but they'd like to win. So, you know, instead of holding a game in Amsterdam, let's let's, you know, have more games, and let's make the Americans play somewhere else. And see what that does for them and for baseball. I, I think they, I don't know, if I was a major league baseball player and, uh, I'm, I don't know, Derek Jeter or, or whomever, and somebody says, look, you know, we're going to have to go to Tokyo. Okay. I, I like Tokyo and we're going to play Japan in their country. And I'd be, yeah bring it on, you know, let's go. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think that, that that would be so exciting uh, for them and for baseball, in the same way that the uh, the Soviet series was so exciting for Canadian hockey players almost 40 years ago to the point where the, the guy who scored the winning goal is an, a national hero even today. And I think that's the kind of thing you might see someday with the WBC.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there is some, like, scheduling problems. And I think just to, in fairness, I guess, to the American baseball fans, with the way it's scheduled now, you kind of, like, want to cheer for the team, for the American team, just to hurry up and get eliminated because you don't want, you know, your best players to get injured. That's kind of what it was like around here because, you know, we had Pedroia, Euclid, and Matsuzaka in the baseball classic, and those are three critical pieces to the Red Sox team next season. So, And Pedroia and Euclis are are all banged up now. So it's like, you know, I think that the American fans have sort of, like, competing interests, you know what I mean, where they're like, you know, I hope the American team does well, but I don't want fucking something to happen to Jimmy Rollins or whatever. I agree. Um,
3: but, you know, players from Manchester United and Newcastle or wherever in the, in the Premier League in the United Kingdom have the same thing whenever their, their national team goes, or national teams go to play, um, wherever they're going to play in the World Cup or in the European Cup or whatever. I mean, sometimes you just have to grow up and realize that, you know, like, Boston is not the center of the universe. Kansas City, New York are not the centers of the universe. That maybe there is something as important, if not more important, on a once-every-four-year basis as the parochial interests of my own baseball team. So instead of whining about Dustin Pedroia or, or... Derek Jeter getting hurt potentially or whatever, it's like going, yeah, there's three or four of our guys playing for the national team. Plus, maybe there's one playing for the Dominican team and one playing for Canada or whatever. You know, yeah, we've got more good players than anybody else. All right. Um, and by the way, being American is important. So let's, let's cheer the team on. And I think maybe the way Major League Baseball has to really, really get behind it and sort of hit owners over the head and say you guys need you can't be half-hearted partners in this this is important for baseball so you guys really like really have to be behind us here Um, all the team owners no half-heartedness and I and I think also you make a good point it's it's bad timing I'm not sure right before or during spring training is the best time to be running it I think perhaps the best time to be running it like might be um, either after the World Series or do a deal with Major League Baseball and the other national leagues around the world, and say, look, we're just going to take two or three weeks off in the middle of the season, which is what the hockey teams do when the Olympics roll around, because the Olympics come right in the middle of the NHL season. Yeah. But they take two or three weeks off and say, you know what, the Olympics are important, so we're going to send all our best players to go play in the Olympics. And that was a massive there was a, there was a massive fight to to get team owners and the players' association um, to agree to that. But then, you know, the players themselves were like, well, this is – we want to play in the Olympics. And the NHL understood it was important, and Gary Bettman did. And I think baseball has to do the same thing. And I think so what you might might need to do is actually every four years interrupt the season. And maybe that happens during the All-Star break. Maybe every four years you you say, screw the All-Star game. And so there we've already got four or five days where we can – and then just build in another two weeks, and and say, good, there we go.
1: Yeah, and then organize it a little bit better, so.
3: Absolutely, so that it moves quicker and speedier, and you get some resolution, you know, chop chop kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, oh, there, Like I said, there are problems with it that need really need to be worked out, but it's only it's only the second time it's been held. So as those problems get worked out, it has the potential to be a complete flop too, to just sort of. But I, I think Seelig's really behind it. I think a lot of other important people are behind it. I think it works, and uh, I think, you know, there's a really good chance it's going to move forward in a positive way, and it'll be good for baseball. And it it has the potential to really change the way baseball is played and organized in the very long run, not today or tomorrow, but, but down the road. And wouldn't it be cool to be able to be a Boston Red Sox fan and say we just beat the Tokyo Giants and we really are the world champions? No doubt. There's no other team anywhere around the planet. <laughs> yeah, We're it.
1: All right. Now, uh, I get it. You're a big fan of the World Baseball Classic. True enough. Oh, and I didn't really answer your question. I was
3: disappointed that Canada didn't do very well, although uh, I have to admit – um, we only lost to the Americans six to five, and it was a great. Oh, game. Oh, that was
1: the best game, one of the best games of the whole of the whole tournament. So,
3: and and you could tell. I don't think the Canadians got all that jacked up to play Italy. I think it was to them, it was like, Meh. but you could tell when they were playing the United States. Uh, it's not hockey, but even in baseball, they were taking it seriously. And they, you know, that was a great game, and you could see both teams wanted to win. And it was there was there was a real rivalry there, and you could see it when the Japanese were playing the Koreans too. Every time. Um, you know, like Ichiro and stuff, they, those guys were playing. And I, the great quote by Ichiro, he said, uh, somebody asked him, what's, how does this rank with, um, if, before they won, how does this rank with other things you've done in your career? And he said, if we win, this would be the most, more important than winning the World Series to me. And I think that, You know, that's the perspective of somebody who's not from the United States, um, because I'm sure an American player would probably never say that. They'd say, well, you know, it's good, it's great, but the World Series is more important. I think for people outside the United States, the World Series is very important, but I think they understand they have a more global view. So a guy like Ichiro would say, as much as I'd love to win the World Series, you know, this, this is my country. And, I, you know, that's that's a good thing.
1: All right. Now, what about uh, in the Major League Baseball world? Has anything been... uh Tickling your fancy in the last few months since we chatted,
3: the continuing disintegration of the integrity of the game, courtesy of people like Alex Rodriguez and Roger Clemens um, and Barry Bonds and all those other guys who cheated. Okay, and now it, I know
1: last year you were all you were all in a lather over Roger Clemens and and justifiably so. I'm not I'm not you know I'm not besmirching you here. You know, are you as angry about the whole A-Rod thing?
3: Well, no, because I. Alex Rodriguez, I couldn't care less about. He's never been a player that I've I've resonated with. He doesn't play for teams that I, I care about. So, I mean, Clemens, to me, was he was the Red Sox when I grew up. And I don't really cheer for the Jays because they're in the same division as the Sox. But I like the Jays because they're the Canadian team. And so he played two great years with the Jays. And I always thought he was the best pitcher of his generation and maybe one of the three or four best of all time. So, yeah, Clemens, that really resonated with me um, to see that he was a cheat. Um, Alex Rodriguez, I, th- I think somebody, I heard an analyst say, you know, Clemens and Bonds maybe were shocking. Like they were the big names, the first guys that you kind of went, wow. Alex Rodriguez, sure, he's a huge name, but by now it's just like, eh, <laughs> you know, are we surpri- is anybody surprised?
0: Yeah, the that surprise
3: was would be if you could de- develop a test that could prove somebody didn't cheat and then say, okay, here's Alex Rodriguez. We, he didn't cheat. You know, he really hit 40 <laughs> home runs honestly and everybody would be like, "Whoa, okay. Wow, okay, that's surprising. Yeah. I never saw that coming." And that's the sad state of major league baseball now where it's not trying to root out the 7 or 8 cheaters. It's trying to find the 7 or 8 or whatever that number is honest ball players who didn't cheat. I think it's going to be much harder cheating going forward. I think people are I think we've we've reached our limit. I think the dam had already burst, but A-Rod was the cherry on the, the dam's cake or whatever, where people are just now like, okay, this has got to stop. But I think it, it does create a, a real conundrum for Major League Baseball. How do you treat the last 20 years in the record books and stuff? Um, how do you treat the the Hall of Fame careers of those players? Do you put Clemens in the Hall of Fame or not? Do you put Bonds in the Hall of Fame or not? Um, I would say yes, but uh, you know, do you put an asterisk next to Bonds number? I would say no. I mean, because every era is different. I think we have now reached the point where we just have to say, look, there was the dead ball era. There was the era when blacks didn't play. And there was the steroid era where we had, you know, robots playing. Um, And I think you just kind of have to say, look, baseball over a hundred year period has changed. So is using steroids to enhance your performance any worse than not allowing African-Americans to play. I mean, so there's Ted Williams, and he's not playing against some of the best pitchers and outfielders and whatever that were alive during his time. Does that mean you should have an asterisk next to any of Ted Williams' numbers or Lou Gehrig's or Babe Ruth's? Um, no. Uh, it just means it was a different era with different d- rules. Yeah. So in the steroid era, the rule was we'll play against the best players in the world, but we'll jack ourselves up. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, in the same way that you ended – Segregation in baseball. um, I think you know we've reached the point where we're going. We we, you have to end um, the era of steroid use in baseball, and you really have to get firm with rooting cheaters out. And I have to admit, I am one of the reasons why I'm so interested in the World Baseball Classic is because it just seems a little newer and it seems fresher, and it seems like people are playing for the countries. And yes, I know people cheat when they play for the countries and stuff, but Major League Baseball seems to have been dragged down over the last 10 or 20 years into this, this cesspool of cheating and accusations and lying about cheating and all that sort of stuff. And you see guys like Raphael Pomero and Mark McGuire, you know, obviously choosing not to tell the truth. And you just go, you know what? I miss Cal Ripken and Carl Yastrzemski and, and those guys. So call me when some of those kinds of guys are the guys who are at the front people for baseball. And that's that's when I'll become really interested again. Um, at the moment it's it's something i I watch a few games during the season and when the World Series rolls around i'll probably watch um probably watch that too but um and I'll go see them live like Greg and I went to see the Angels play last year and the Dodgers the year before so that that's fun but you know the day in day out kind of monitoring baseball um until it cleans up its i haven't left the house I still love it, but until it cleans up its act and can show that it's truly cleaned up its act um I'm one of those people out there that says, you know what I've turned into a casual fan thanks to you guys and uh and you're going to have to win me back because there's an awful lot of other things out there that I can do. You're in a you're in a marketplace where you have more competition than ever, not just sports but everything else. So why should I choose to watch baseball um unless you guys are going to be clean and uh, at least sort of in the way that I used to watch baseball. And the answer is I'm not not going to. If I want to see a good baseball game. I'll go down to the uh Wanderers Grounds here in Halifax, and I'll watch the local uh, minor league teams play um, because at least I know those guys are doing it for the love of the game.
1: Wow. Once again, Kimball brings the pessimism to the baseball special. I'm glad you put the silver lining of it with the World Baseball Classic this year.
3: Well, sure, and Major League Baseball. (laughs) And they can clean up their house, too. And when they do, I'm back. You know, it's like I love baseball. I still think it's the greatest sport coming from a Canadian now, greatest sport on the planet. I love hockey, too, but I mean, I love soccer. But baseball there's just something about it i which is why guys like me and i'm sure bob costas you know we sort of think the same way even if we disagree about particular things changing he'd hit me over the head with a shovel if he heard me talk about a world baseball league he would be like this is horrible it's like the un only worse uh but you know it's it's because you you want to share that game with everybody you want to see everybody involved you know and and so i get all excited about stuff like that and then the excitement gets taken away whenever i read Pull out the paper and, oh, Alex Rodriguez, you know, was using steroids or, or whomever. Um, and, you know, that that's, that's just taken some of the fun out of it for me. So.
1: All right. Well, we're going to bring the fun back right now because it's uh-huh. time for predictions. It's the prediction contest.
3: I'm predicting the St. Louis Browns to go all the way this year.
1: All right. Well, let's roll into the predictions here. Let me get my uh – Hold on. I just have to call up a website that makes predictions that I can pretend are mine. Oh,
0: Jesus.
1: (laughs) Well, I already made my picks earlier this afternoon, and as I was telling uh, Rich Dolan, I agonized over quite a few of them. Uh, But they're in. My picks are in officially, and I've gotten Lauren Coleman's, and uh, Richard told me his earlier here when we taped it. So uh, all the all the band is coming back together again here this year for the baseball special, as Rich Dolan called it the Banal League. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, let's let's get your your picks here. We'll start with the American League East.
3: Who plays in the East again? I always forget uh, what is that team. Um, I think the Red Sox win the East this year.
1: How and you feeling about the Sox?
3: I feel pretty good. Um, considering I think the Yankees are a mess. Tough luck for you, Dolan. But I think the Yankees. The Yankees are a mess. I think that the Arod rod thing is going to dog them all year. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, the Red Sox have the best talent. The, the Devil Rays are my pick for the wild card team. Okay. So, so they will make it back into the playoffs, um, but not the World Series. But they're a good young team, so, yeah. All so right. the Red Sox and the D-Rays are going to come out of these.
1: Okay. AL Central? <sighs>
3: Who did I pick last year? The Cleveland Indians? <sighs> um, I like the White Sox. Okay. Don't ask me why. I just like the White Sox, I think this, this year they're they're gonna be back on track.
1: Alright. Well they did make the playoffs last year, so it's not like they were But back off on track,
3: track, I mean heading potentially
1: towards the World Series. Okay, well we'll get we'll further get into the predictions here. I'm again, getting getting yeah. intrigued. Alright, the AL West.
3: Ugh, I hate to say it, but the Angels. They're they're just the best team out there.
1: Alright, so but you and I are you and I are close but not, not too not too close yet.
3: Well, that's just because you don't know me well enough, Tim.
1: <laughs> Give it some time.
3: Um. <laughs> we just need another Kimbenal summit, and then we'll be as close as – anyway, sorry.
1: Anyway. <laughs> All right. Now, how about the uh, National League East? Um,
3: uh, I get so burned by this last year, but I'm going to do it. the, the Mets. Okay. I'm-, I'm taking the Mets. They burn me. A- I hate them. The hateful team. Any Red Sox fan must hate the, the Mets. So I do, but – I also pick them almost every year to win the East, and so they just make it worse for
1: themselves by not doing it. Yeah, you don't but know what...
3: But they're not going to choke this year. This year, they're going to win the East.
1: All right. Uh, okay, and the uh, National League Central? Uh, the Cubs. All righty. Like in the Cubs. That's kind of a lousy division anyway, it seems right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, last year, a couple years ago, like the NL West was outstanding. And then last year, they completely fell off the map and they were terrible. So you just never know. The National League's a mystery to me. <laughs> uh, what's
3: that? Uh, yeah, the National League's a mystery. Okay, I'll buy that. It's, um, like, it's like Bigfoot and the UFOs and the National League. Those are the three mysteries.
1: That's pretty much. Yeah, that's kind of that should be like our tagline for the show here.
3: There
1: you go. UFOs, Bigfoot, and uh, the National League. Uh, all right, in the uh, National League West, who you got for the National League West?
3: I'm taking the
1: Diamondbacks. Wow. Yeah. That's a surprise for me. I figured for sure you'd be on the Dodgers bandwagon there.
3: Ah uh, well, wait for it now. You, you oh, are, okay.
1: okay. You go. All I'm right. Taking the, I'm taking the Dodgers for the wild card. Interesting. All right. No Phillies.
3: Phillies are not going to defend.
1: Wow. Okay. Still so have a good season, but. Yeah. Interesting. So you got the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Angels, and the Rays, mm-hmm. and then the Mets, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, and the Dodgers. Indeed. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I have the Phillies for myself for the uh, for the wild card, but. I was really agonizing over that sort of trifecta, who I was going to take for the West, and if someone from the West was going to get the wild card. So
3: You, know, you don't like the Diamondbacks this year? you No, thinking. I do
1: pick the Diamondbacks for the oh. West. Oh. oh, okay. And there I have the know. Phillies for the wild card, so I have the Dodgers not even making the playoffs.
3: Oh, well, who'd you pick for the East, then? Uh, the Mets. Oh, well, it sounds like you and I are like psychically, remote-viewingly linked here. All
1: right, now who do you have for the American League Championship? Here's where it gets interesting. I think it's going to be the White Sox. Wow. And in the National League? The White Sox are going to
3: lose the World Series to the Chicago Cubs.
1: Wow. Windy City Series? A Windy City Series. That would be amazing. That would be great for baseball. I'd love to see it, yeah. And you're picking the Chicago Cubs to win the World Series? Picking the Cubs to take it in six. Wow. So, uh, you and Dolan, again. Why, did he pick the Cubs? He picked the Cubs as well. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Let me see here. Let me look no, at he's
3: a, he's a smart guy.
1: I know. now I'm thinking I should have picked the Cubs, but I'm gonna stick I picked the Red Sox to win it all this year.
3: Uh, you know, that's a, not a bad choice.
1: The Red Sox actually over the Cubs. So oh, well, there you, there you go. And uh, uh and Dolan has the Cubs over the Red Sox. As
3: long as nobody picked the Dodgers. I mean the, the, I think they'll squeak in, but
1: I think they're they're overrated, so they just so have no they crack. have no pitching. They have no pitching at all. Yeah. We'll find out what Greg has to say when, when we get him on the show. See what Go-Rightly says,
3: because his picks are gold.
1: <laughs> We've talked here for a good half hour about baseball. Now, what's going on with uh, Paul Kimball and uh, Red Star Films? And, of course, uh, I'm hearing all kinds of rumors about you in a ghost hunting series up there in Canada. So uh, let us uh, let us in on the scoop here about what's going on with you.
3: Um, well, let's see what is going on. I'm working on uh, three UFO-related documentaries now. One on the Soviet Union and UFOs, which is quite interesting. I'm oh, right. wow. Sort of been much to the distributor's chagrin. I've I've been picking away at that, uh, but it's it's literally almost done. So that one's coming soon and the other two. Uh, one's about cattle mutilations. And uh, what's the other one about? I haven't even started that. Uh, oh, shoot. Area 51. There you go. So some UFO stuff. Uh, I've got the feature film, the vampire feature film, Eternal Kiss, which we're in post-production now on. Uh, the trailer is up on my blog, so folks are interested. They can see that. And this uh, this ghost hunting series, I actually, you know what? I don't want you don't hunt ghosts. It's a ghost investigating series, okay. or a, a series where we investigate stories about places and, and people that are supposed to be haunted. And so it's me. Uh, I co-host with a, with a friend of mine named Holly Stevens and uh, I co-direct and co-produce it as well and we've got 7 episodes in the can and um we're looking at filming uh we've got 6 more to do and that'll be premiering in Canada on a network called Eastlink in uh September um and then we have a distributor that will hopefully take it worldwide and I've seen the f- I was there obviously for the footage but I've also seen the footage we have we've discovered some interesting things I have to admit you know me I'm a skeptic about all this stuff but once you put yourself right into the middle of it, once you're there, which is something you can't do with UFOs, it's why I'm finding the ghost stuff much more interesting because you know, you can't unless you're sitting in the middle of a field and the UFO comes down, you can't really get involved. But ghosts, if you go to a haunted house and if it really is haunted, then you might actually you have the potential at least to experience something. So I've had, I've had a couple of interesting experiences and uh and we have some interesting evidence that we've um you know, um, audio and visual evidence that we've obtained, too. So, so yeah, it should be uh, – well, it is fun, but it, it should be a good show. I'm looking forward to getting it done and, and letting folks see it.
1: Nice. And that'll be like in September, you say? Yes. Yeah. And what's going on with Best Evidence? Is that going to be on TV here in America anytime soon, or can people just order a DVD of it yet, or what's, what's going on with that? Because I still get a lot of emails from people who ask me about it.
3: It finally aired in New Zealand if you have listeners in New Zealand it a month or two ago it finally aired in, in New Zealand on t v n z We're in the process of uh, changing distributors so the new distributor uh is a company in the united states um paranormal media that also has Stan Friedman Israel and Fields of Fear that we did and uh and they have um they have high hopes for best evidence to uh get it to d v d which it hasn't it hasn't been yet and hopefully to get it on television in the u s so um and other countries too and you know because I'll make money off that I'm all for it but uh, I still think it's a it's a, a really good film and it's a film that if you're interested in the UFO subject you should try and watch so I have I've put a few clips from it a couple of case segments are up on YouTube and uh, so if you if you type in um, for instance RB 47 and UFO the uh, the clip on the RB 47 case will come up in, on YouTube and you can watch it there, but you, sh- you know, once the film is fully available, you should watch the entire thing and, and see it in context. So, um, so yeah, that's the best evidence status, I guess.
1: Where can uh, folks find out more about you? I know you retired for a while. Are you unretired now, or are you just at the other blog? What's going on with your with your status? No, I'm I'm still pretty much
3: retired from the, the blogging thing. You know, if I. If a day pops up when I have nothing to do, and I feel uh, – there was a couple days back in November, December, I think, when I wrote a couple things about UFOs. But um, I'll tell you, honestly, UFOs don't interest me at the moment. I mean, they they still interest me in a, in a roundabout way, but to – you know, I have other things that I find more interesting. The paranormal still interests me, but I find ghosts at the moment to be much more interesting than UFOs for a whole lot of reasons. Um, not the least of which is uh, there's no such thing, as far as I can tell yet, called ghostology, where you have all the, the petty personal feuds and that bickering. Um, so that's a pleasant change. I can just go deal with witnesses and, and talk to people who, who have cases. And so, you know, and even the ghost investigators we've dealt with and talked with just generally seem to be a much more um, nice relatively sane group than a lot of the people in ufology so i don't miss it and quite frankly i'm pretty sure that ufology doesn't miss me so uh so for the moment uh, whatever i do with ufos uh, it's either business like these documentaries um or it's personal stuff that i do sort of off the grid
1: yeah all right uh where can folks find out more about you anyway um at your local strip club there's (laughs)
3: there's a pretty good chance that i'm sitting right there in gynecology row Um, No, that's horrible. Um, But keep that in the show; it'll annoy people. So, Uh, Um, www.redstarfilms.blogspot.com.
1: All right, that's still your hub. Yeah,
3: you know, from there you can find any of my other blogs or websites or whatever. Or you know, track me down on Facebook. I it is sort of the social networking tool that I use, so um, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. I have a public public display there so uh, so come invite me to be your friend or whatever.
1: Oh yeah, you're all about the Facebook. I'm getting poked by you all the time. Well <laughs> damn, <laughs> we're
3: not supposed to tell people so we're <laughs> doing our own private hours.
1: Oh uh, well as definitely,
4: always Paul it was it's gr-
3: you poking me instead of some of these hot hot models and stuff that I have as friends.
1: So. Oh Jesus here we go. Yeah.
3: But you're you're cute, I like you. And as as long as you're still wearing that Red Sox hat we're okay.
1: I appreciate that. Alright I'll uh, let you do your extra all right. Well, it's always great talking to you, Paul. Uh, kind of disappointed in a way that you retired in a selfish way and then, you know, in a more uh, open-hearted way. I'm very happy that you have retired from the UFO field, as as we kind of discussed last summer. Uh, I agree with you. It's time to move on for a lot of people and uh, sort of embrace other aspects and avenues of this weird paranormal world. I'm looking forward to seeing what you have for your ghost investigation series. And uh, hopefully we can talk again in the future, you know, for a full length paranormal interview discussing, you know, ghosts, UFOs and all that great stuff.
3: Yeah, no, that would be a lot of fun. Actually, I think we're gonna we're looking at filming a few episodes in the United Kingdom to finish the series off. So, um working with some paranormal investigators over there. So yeah, hopefully we'll have lots of stuff to talk about, you know, as the as the year rolls along. Sounds good. Always good to be on your show, Tim. Zorgi a winner again. In all of America, yet again, another Zorgi award in your trophy case.
1: Yes, I appreciate that. I was going to mention, when are my Zorgi trophies coming? Not just for this year, but last year too. I was <laughs> promised a Zorgi trophy for 2008. I didn't get that. Oh, I mean, 2007. I didn't get my Zorgi 2007 nor 08 trophy, nor the virtual trophy, which should take like five minutes.
3: Actually, the virtual trophy, I do have to do that, but here's what I'll do I will get a Zorgi trophy made for you, and what it's going to be, I'll just go down to the local trophy shop, it'll be a baseball trophy, but it'll have your name and Zorgi award winner on, and that's going to be the closest that anybody in Massachusetts gets this year to winning a major trophy with a baseball player on it. (laughs) Oh, wow. see, See, I brought it back around to baseball at the end. There you go. Yeah. You're listening to Banal of America Audio.
1: Batting third in our lineup, he is the crypto master himself, the man behind Cryptomundo and just a huge array of cryptozoology books. He's at the top of the mountain in the world of cryptozoology, and he's also the man behind the amazing blog, The Copycat Effect, and the book of the same name, The Copycat Effect, which is must-read book all about media influence on people and and just a, just an amazing mind-blowing book that everybody should read he is of course the illustrious Lauren Coleman it's great to have you back on the show Lauren it's been too long since we talked last and I'm really excited to have you back here for the baseball special
5: well it's good to welcome spring in this way Tim with you so this is good
1: well I always look forward to the baseball special and catching up with everybody and and talking about baseball it's a nice change of pace when you spend you know, uh, 51 weeks out of the year or whatever it is, talking about Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of nice just to stop and smell the roses.
5: Oh, well, baseball is never very far from me, even on those days that I'm thinking about Yetis and, uh,
1: you
0: know,
5: other strange things. It's always there.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I remember that Saturday night at the Mass Monster Mass. I know Right, that. exactly. I know that for sure. The first thing I want to talk to you about is uh, this blog post that you, that you just posted like an hour before we sat down here to do the interview at the Copycat Effect, and we're going to have linkage up uh, at Benall of America on the page, on the show page, when people are listening to this so they can go check it out. But it's about the Masonic origins of baseball which I found really fascinating. And, you know, I sometimes I catch a little grief from some of the listeners for doing the baseball special because they don't see the esoteric connections in, in some of the things. So when I read your post here on the Copycat Effect, it was like, thank you, this is amazing stuff. Um, <laughs> so I guess just talk a little bit about some of those Masonic connections. I was really uh, blown away by the uh, the early quote here from uh, Randy Lavello where he just sort of lays out all these numerological significances between baseball and masonry it was just, like, unbelievable stuff when I was reading it.
5: Well, I think that, first of all, we need to have the real visuals. And if you put yourself in a blimp above a baseball diamond, you'll see that, indeed, you have there, uh, you know, home plate, left field. Those are the form a compass and then the semicircle is the other part of what you see with the square. So the whole compass and square with the Masons is really played out very visually on the baseball field. So you have that first, and then you have three strikes, three outs, uh, the nine, which is, you know, three times three. And nine is a very – I mean, uh, three is a very significant, sacred number in Freemasonry, and then you have the four, of course, symbolizing the square and the four balls and the four bases, and uh, the nine positions and nine innings, and, you know, you can just keep going on there, and and it has all those compounds into 27. So, uh, you know, I really, like you say, recommend that people get the link there, and you can see all of the numerology. Baseball, of course, with its home runs and the ERAs and all of the statistics, It's just a a playground for numerologists and people that are really interested in deciphering the sort of the mystic origins of baseball.
1: It's amazing stuff, and and like I said, uh, people can check out the linkage there, and it's just a tip my cap to you. You've been just in the zone over there at the Copycat Effect blog for the last few months. I mean, your stuff's been amazing uh, at the Copycat Effect blog. I think sometimes people don't realize that it's going on over there. They just go to Cryptomundo, but they have to go to the Coffee Cat Effect blog. It's it's a must-read.
5: I think there's definitely a twilight language that's going on, and I really am using that forum there to try to interpret it. And, and that's why I launched from uh, you know just the numerology and the visuals of of how people really make the link between baseball to really looking at the two guys that are said to be the origins of baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about that, because you do really do a great job of uh, looking into these two different guys here.
5: Well, there's Abner Doubleday, and of course, people really see the whole myth of Doubleday is that in 1839, the first baseball game supposedly happened at Cooperstown, New York, and that's why we have the Hall of Fame there. And of course, Doubleday is an extremely intriguing figure, because he was the Union General during the Civil War that fired the first shots at Fort Sumner. And Fort Sumner, of course, is on the 33rd degree latitude. And a lot of people really interpret the American Civil War as a a Masonic battle between the north and southern jurisdictions of uh, Freemasonry. And, of course, you have with the southern uh, jurisdiction the whole notion of the 33rd degree Scottish Rite Masons. So that whole uh, battle that really started there uh, really has this sort of Masonic underpinnings. He also was very involved in the Battle of uh, Gettysburg, and and uh, he also has this strange background where he goes to San Francisco and actually invents the cable car railroad, the same one that's still there today. So Doubleday has this background. But then he comes back east, and... Uh, Along with, um, you know, all of these mystic types gets together to be in the, the Theosophical Society and heads that up. And so a lot of people really don't know that whole connection there. And as I point out in my blog, there's really only one piece of testimony from a guy named Albert Graves, who he would have been five years old at the time, says that he, uh, he knew about town ball and that Double day was uh involved with it, and really created baseball that way but as I, and here we go back to uh the strange, weird violence part of it is I go back to show that uh a lot of people mistrust the testimony of Graves today because uh he it turned out he murdered his wife and spent his final days in a insane asylum so uh <laughs> he's not the greatest one to be a testimonial. And then I jump over to uh, Cartwright, who, uh, according to the establishment baseball historians, is the one that is the true father of baseball. He actually um, has a plaque in uh, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown saying he is the father of baseball. And there is absolutely no doubt that Cartwright, uh, who had the Knickerbockers and all of that, has these heavy Masonic uh, involvements. In fact... um, and I really spell this out, how there is this connection between firefighting and the Masons that is well known in the history there. And, and Cartwright uh, named uh, the Knickerbockers the first baseball team because he was a volunteer firefighter, which a lot of the Masons did at the time, in the Knickerbocker Engine Company Number 12. And then Cartwright goes through this. his uh, The bank that he was working at burns down. He becomes a bookseller on Wall Street, and then all of a sudden he uh, he gets all caught up after playing baseball and doing all of this. He gets caught up in the gold rush of 1848, shows up in San Francisco with his family in March of 49, uh, doesn't like it there too much, and decides to go on to Hawaii and really becomes the famous cartwright of Hawaii, uh, the pineapple industry and uh is very involved in getting the fire department and freemasonry going in Hawaii and in fact the the first mason uh, the first native Hawaiian that was a freemason was this uh, one of the kings there uh, who became very famous and and cart Cartwright and him uh, laid cornerstones together and and he introduced baseball to Hawaii and I got very involved in the government, whether or not it was going to be overthrown or not. and So it's it's just incredible history there with Cartwright. Uh, by the way, I, I do point out that one of the questions that's kind of open about Doubleday, he's buried at uh, Arlington National Cemetery underneath a, a huge uh, Masonic-like obelisk. Mm-hmm. And as I've written about in some of my uh, other blogs there, The obelisk is very much tied to the Mason, so maybe Doubleday is a Mason, but we don't know about it. But we certainly know Cartwright is one, and he he very much is, is connected to the origins of baseball. So there's this whole Masonic thread through baseball that we really, I think people who are interested in the unknown and the unexplained and the synchronicities that are going on, the mystic connections, uh, should look to baseball it's more than just the zen of the game there's a lot more going on there
1: yeah yeah like i said i was blown away by this because uh you told me you were putting it together and then you sent me the email today with it and when i read it before the interview i was just like this is amazing stuff so i didn't
5: even get into the sex magic connected to uh baseball with the, <laughs> you know baseball sallies and all of that history that's that's for another time
1: yeah we'll save that for the fourth annual special <laughs> right <laughs> Now let's let's dive in a little bit here to uh this year's baseball season impending. How you feeling? We already had Rich Dolan on the show. He's sort of our Yankee representative. So, you and I of course are are solidly in the Red Sox camp. So so we kind of have a right. little equal time going on.
5: One difference even from last year is my son uh, my oldest son is actually working for the Red Sox at Nesson, so I've got an inside track there
1: excellent nice that's what we need here <laughs> so how are you feeling about the Red Sox you know uh as the season is about to begin i'm i'm feeling pretty good myself uh, actually we have, we have similar picks we both have them going all the way we don't have to get into picks just yet but but we both have uh, high hopes i think for the team this year probably i think we both are in agreement based on the outstanding uh on paper looking uh pitching that the Red Sox seem to have acquired over the last year or so. Yeah,
5: I think that, you know, Brad Penny, a lot of people have questions about him. But I, I see him as a really maturing pitcher. And then, you know, you can't go wrong with John Smoltz. And then Burkhoats, good old Burcoats, who's going to be probably in the minor leagues for a while, but uh, he's certainly going to be there in reserve. So I, I really look, I mean, everybody's talking about Beckett and Dyskay and John Lester. And I think that's a strong, strong pitching there's absolutely no holes in the pitching. There's zero holes in the defensive field. I think this is a, a, you know, Coco Crisp I never liked. Mike Timlin I liked as a person. He, you know, was great. But I, I always would kind of sweat whenever I saw him come into the game. <laughs> absolutely. So it's, it's really nice to see the pickups that they have. I've, been, uh, since I saw Brad Penny and Beckett, uh, playing for the, um, portland sea dogs when they were here i really followed their careers for a long time and it's it's really kind of good to see uh, mike lowe and brad penny and and kind of what i see the cream of the crop of the marlins the old marlins uh successes come into the boston red sox
1: yeah Uh, i'm really i'm
5: very happy
1: yeah i'm feeling i'm feeling really good about the season uh, as long as some of the some of the field position guys hold up uh, physically, you know, like Lowell and and if Ortiz can bounce back and that kind of thing.
5: Right. But I, you know, I think um, Mark Kotze and uh, Jason Bay is a great pickup, you know, that 30 homers a year will be great. Uh, Different things. I think one other thing, and I, I do have to speak to the Yankees because you can't talk about the Red Sox without talking about the Yankees. And, a lot of my friends that are Yankee fans, uh, at least, you know, friends with a small F, um, <laughs> they, they really are very honest that the Yankees, as a team, don't hold together with the, as a team. And I see that as a real kind of personality difference with the Red Sox. No matter who they add to the team, they really coalesce as sort of a working class Uh, baseball team in which everybody, there's not really, you know, I mean, even Beckett really doesn't see himself as a prima donna. And I think with the Yankees, you have so many personalities there that they don't really coalesce. And so at the end, even even though when we get into the picks, I still think the Yankees will do better than the Rays. I really think in in the end, the Red Sox will come out tops.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a war there in the American League East. That's what I'm really... uh looking forward to seeing. Now, what were your thoughts on the whole Manny debacle this year? I know, uh, you know, well, of course you were following it, I'm sure. Uh, you're a hardcore fan like I am.
5: Manny's one of those guys that when he was up to bat and when he was focused, he was great. But it was getting him there. You know, the the knee that hurt, you know, the bouncing around the outfield, the giving the high five to the fans as he jumps up, the forgetting that he needs to throw the ball in. <laughs> I mean, he, he just... It was, it was irritating because he was such a good player that if he could concentrate and towards the end, it was very obvious that Manny didn't want to be there. And I just, uh, you know, I, I think that Joe Torrey is such a good manager that maybe he'll be able to hold, uh, hold Manny down a bit. But I mean, he, he didn't get him to cut his hair, you know, yeah. you know, that much. So I think Manny will be Manny and, uh, I think the team was really feeling the stress. The Boston Red Sox was really feeling the stress at the end, and that's why I think they they got so close, because they were able finally to just be themselves and, and be a good team together.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a weird sort of like Catch-22, because they did really well, and they almost made it to the World Series, and then you, you kind of have to wonder if they were going to, if they still had Manny, would they have gone all the way? Although Jason Bay did very well in the playoffs, so it might have been, been a push anyway.
5: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it, Came down to the pitching at the end, and it was just kind of, you know, Schilling just crumbled there and wasn't available. And I think they were really relying on somebody like Schilling at the end, and he wasn't there for the postseason.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, like, at least we have Smoltz now to hopefully uh, fill that role. I think for the team as as the season goes along. Now, yeah, you- as
5: well as this uh, Japanese prospect that'll be in. Portland and probably be a call up to uh, you know the Red Sox in September.
1: Yeah, I'm hearing really good things about him actually. The other day there was some a post about him on the on the Globe page about about him. Uh, Pigeon really. Uh, I often. haven't
5: learned how to pronounce his name yet, but <laughs> has a zoo or something like that. But, you know, I think because he's in Portland, I'll be able to see him and that'll be great because uh, he, it seems like uh, the Red Sox are really developing a nice core of Japanese players, and that's that's quite nice to see.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting to to look at the two different styles, I guess you could say, of uh, the general managers for the Red Sox and the Yankees this offseason. The Red Sox had a lot of reclamation projects, and I think in total maybe, you know, Smoltz, Baldelli, and Brad Penny cost less than the Yankees paid for A.J. Burnett. So it's it's going to be interesting really to see which methodology will will prove to be the you know the winning combination. I guess you could say. Obviously, there's a lot of luck and injuries and stuff like that involved as well. But the
5: Ramirez guy too, he could be a quite good. Mm-hmm. The new addition. So
1: now, how do you think so, those those three free agents signed by the Yankees are going to fare? The big the big name free agents who I think the Yankees uh, ended up bidding against themselves for and kind of overpaying, especially for guys like Sabathia and Burnett.
5: Yeah, I don't think they'll have such good years, first years. I think that CC will. You know, in five years when all of the old, you know, all of the guys are in the 39, 40-year-old places, he'll look like a wonderful idea then. But I I just don't see the team really coming together with those new, you know, the tech and all of those other ones are, are not – I gotta, I don't think they're going to shine as much as people are saying. And, you know, it's just uh, – I still think that Andy Pettit's probably the best pitcher for that stadium and, um, you know, uh, for, for New York. And I just don't think that uh, Mark Teixeira and all those guys are going to AJ, – A.J. is one of those guys, uh, an, another former Marlin success story, but because of his injuries, you know, he's a wild card. And, uh, I mean, in more ways than one, I'm not talking about his tattoos and his goth lifestyle <laughs> yeah i i kind of like that part of him but uh it's just the difference between him and and penny is that aj seems to be maturing a little bit faster yeah so uh i think that uh of the three you know big pickups i'd say aj is going to be their surprise
1: now, uh I remember last year when we talked we were trying to come up with who we thought was gonna be the breakout team of, of the oh eight season and uh you I know, said the Rays. Did you? I don't know. I have to no, go back.
5: No, I'm j- just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Nobody picked the Rays. No, nobody
1: nobody picked the Rays and, and as uh you know, as resident American League East fans, we've been watching the Rays for years and, and just to see them break out like that was was stunning, I think. We kind of should have expected it, I guess, though, because they did always play the Red Sox pretty hard for the last few years. And, and you know, they were always kind of plugging away but never really bubbled up to the surface until last year. Uh, what were you thinking when when the Rays just burst into into contention last year?
5: I thought that had a lot to do with their manager. He seemed really focused uh, and really hardworking. And like you just said, I think that if you play in the division in which Every game that you're playing against the East is really hard, and not just some kind of puff game you're going to make a better team and so because the Rays had to go up against the Yankees and uh you know the Red Sox, I think it just made them a better team uh, i I don't think they're going to be able to hold it together this year though I just uh see them as having one of those win a World Series and then kind of take a rest here.
1: Yeah, like a Colorado Rockies-style team.
5: Right, right.
1: One ball,
6: two strikes, two out, two on. Here's the pitch to Jason.
1: You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Swing a high fly ball to deep right center field. Let him back. back That's for the try. team that always seems to disappoint in the in the division is the uh is the blue jays. I mean last year they had like the best ERA for anybody in the whole league but but they just can't seem to ever, you know, get get all the pieces working at the same time it seems.
5: Do you think it has anything to do with being in laid back Canada?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I,
5: I you know I don't know. It is a surprise, you know, except for the uh the, the, you know, the Carter year so to speak. They really haven't got it together recently. And, and it's kind of like watching the American League Central too. You kind of expect somebody like the Detroit Tigers to come through, or the Twins. Or, you know, it, it, it's always surprising because it's it's not as it's not as intense as the East. But you kind of have your picks there, and then they just always fail.
1: Yeah, that's that's what happened to me last year. I had the Tigers going all the way, and I was supremely disappointed. Yeah. But you know, you never know who's going to come out of that central division. Uh, you know, I never thought the White Sox would be as good as they were last year. So
5: right, exactly.
1: You know, but the teams that seem like they could be breakout teams this year, uh, at least in my opinion, just based on sort of the the rumbling I hear, I hear, I feel like Kansas City is on the verge. I don't, maybe not this season, but I think within a couple of seasons, if they can start utilizing those early draft picks that they surely get from from always losing and uh make the right moves and stuff like that. I think they could end up being in contention in, in the uh in the central. Maybe not this year, but in a year or two, I think.
5: Yeah, it's kind of like hoping the Padres will win the World Series, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think the the Royals, everybody's saying that. I'm hearing that a lot about the Royals. You know, they're going to be the breakout team maybe in a couple years, but there's something inside of me telling me that of all of the years, this year is going to be so solidly Uh, expect it you know all of my picks i think are ones that have had pretty good years in the past and i expect to be there you know in contention at the end because i just don't see uh it's almost as if the economy is being reflected those teams that have a lot of money to spend spend it those teams that are are thinking that maybe they're going to go under financially are being very conservative about who they picked up yeah. So it it seems like it's a year in which uh, we get, might see the mainstream, but not, not so much those outliers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get to the predictions, how do you think the financial situation is going to affect baseball this year? Uh,
5: well, you know, I, I'm kind of divided about that. I think that uh, one thing we know that traditionally during times of recession and, and depression that people have gone to entertainment. So, you know, movies, baseball – sporting events that they can afford will probably be well-attended. And from what my early readings tell me, most people have already invested this year in baseball. Yeah. In other words, they've already bought their season tickets or they've figured out the trips that they're going to take. We might see it a little bit during uh, October and where people aren't putting down the big bucks like they used to for the World Series, Uh, especially if the economy is still going in this direction. But... In general, I don't think it'll hit baseball this year as much as next year because everybody will kind of get scared this year and they'll start doing things. It'll be interesting to see a town like, you know, Kansas City Royals, how much trouble they're going to be in financially. But I think for Boston, for New York, uh, you know, Chicago, L.A., it'll still be okay.
1: Well, let's... And, of course,
5: for Philadelphia because, you know, the – being a World Series, they'll get good fan coverage this
1: year. Oh yeah, yeah. I think uh they'll, they'll be all right. The, the uh the small market teams will be the ones we kept keep an eye on, but right. We'll see what happens, I guess. All right. Well, speaking of seeing what happens, uh let's let's take a look here at your predictions for the uh, 2009 season. You got your picks in to me already, and and. Uh, You know, uh, last year Rich Dolan won. I know everybody wants a piece of the championship this year, so (laughs) it will be interesting to see who walks out of the Banal League in uh, 2009 as the champ. All right, I'll just go down the list here. For the American League East, you have the Yankees.
5: Right. I think the Yankees will do Better down the stretch than the Red Sox, but they'll definitely come up as the uh, the champs for the East.
1: Okay, and then uh, for the American League Central, you have the Minnesota Twins. I know you're bullish on the Twins. I know you were last year as well. They do a good job on scouting and and making making a lot out of a little. It seems.
5: Yeah, I think, and I also I like their manager, and I really think that uh, he's going to pull it together this year. I I was you know even though I picked the Twins last year, I really won the Tigers. And I would like to see the Tigers win, but I think, once again, i really got to go with the Twins.
1: Yeah, that's a safer bet, I think, than the Tigers, because you just don't know which way they're going to go.
5: Right,
1: right. Uh, you know, they could be all for redemption. That's kind of what I'm hoping for, because I picked them. But then, you know, like I said, things could just completely fall apart. So. Right. And then in the American League West, you have the always reliable Anaheim Angels as your pick.
5: Right, right. I like the Angels. I think they'll do well. I think they're... They're a wealthy enough team that uh, around the All-Star break they'll pick up any kind of holes and they'll fill them you know, with some good players that some of the teams like you know, the Royals and Padres will want to let go of.
1: So. I found that to be one of your more interesting picks because I took the A's. I think it's going to be a little more competitive this year, although Rich Dolan said he thought that the Angels were going to walk away with it early and that it would be a blowout. So it could go either way, I guess, uh in the American League yeah. West, I think the A's will be much improved, and I feel like the Rangers can smell blood in the water a little bit, and they're kind of on the on the cusp of getting better if they could just improve their pitching. And God only knows what's going on with the Mariners. So,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: the Red Sox definitely are my wild card. I think they'll be very strong. I think the, the Red Sox have this uh, mentality these days to really be conservative, be careful, rest their pitchers. And I don't think that they'll care if they get in with the wild card because they know they're going to go all the way.
1: Yeah, so yeah.
5: I think it's going to be a strategy move.
1: Okay. And you don't see the Rays uh, making the playoffs. I don't.
5: I don't. I see them, you know, scaring people at the end. And the, of course, the suicidal Red Sox fans will be, you know, nearly cutting their wrists. <laughs> and the Rays going to take them over from the wild card, but I don't see it happening in the end.
1: They're they're one of those teams, like, uh, you know that a lot of people weren't sure how, what, to, what to make of them last season, but now this season they're going to get, like, everybody's best shot. So, you right. know, will they hold up or will they wither? That's the that's the question. And then in the always mysterious National League, I was joking with Paul Kimball, I can never seem to figure <laughs> out what's going on in the National League, but yeah, for the uh, National League East, you have the Mets uh, not choking finally and actually winning the NL East here after a couple of rough years for the Mets.
5: Yeah, I think that uh – High management will get a lot of pressure to do everything they can in the lex- last two ma- months to make sure they win the the East, and I think that the Mets have choked so much so recently that they're really going to uh, you know do a good job. And I think that also the team the team row will really pull it together because they don't like choking either. Right? And it's really be- they're a pretty good you know team team so to speak. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that about the Mets.
0: Yeah, they have good uh, even chemistry.
5: I don't like the Mets, but I, I like them about <laughs> the team. I <laughs> sort of like the way I feel about war. I like the soldiers, but I don't like the
1: war. <laughs> and then the uh, the NL Central, which is always uh, kind of a dumpy league, although uh, we haven't even got to the NL West, which is really the pits. <laughs> <laughs> right. You have the, uh, the, uh, the Cubbies here for the NL Central.
0: Yeah, I
5: think the Cubs will pull it out. They really... You know, 101 years and all of that. A lot of people are predicting, you know, the Cubs versus the Red Sox in some kind of pitched battle in the World Series. I don't think the Cubs are going to go that far, but I do think that out of the mysterious Central, the the Cubs will come out and they'll be very proud.
1: Yeah, the Cubbies, they're kind of like my National League team. They're the ones I cheer for mostly. And oh, my God, it was heartbreaking watching them in October this year, though. I mean, they had like the best record in the National League, and then were just decimated right. by the Dodgers, and it was—you could just—they had like a deer in the headlights look to them.
5: Right, and I wrote today, though, I, I, you know, my all-time favorite, my childhood favorite, is the St. Louis Cardinals. That's the team I grew up with, and I, I would hope that they would win the Central, but I really don't think that they'll do it. Uh, but uh, so I have to go with the Cubs.
1: Yeah, they kind of remind me of the Twins. Uh, the Cardinals—they—they uh, they seem to make a lot out of a little, and, and always are in contention no matter what. So. Right. They could always uh, pull it off. I do have a feeling with the Cubs, too, that I'm, I kind of have a feeling that they're they're sort of like the early season 04 Red Sox. We don't know if it'll be the same result, but I feel like I'm hoping that they're kind of like have this feeling like, all right, enough's enough. But I don't know if they'll really, if that'll coalesce into a championship or not, but we'll, we'll see what happens with the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, And then in the NL West, which was outstanding like two years ago and then just completely awful last year, uh, and I have a feeling it's going to be awful again this year, you have the uh, L.A. Dodgers coming out on top in the West.
5: Yeah, I do, and I think that that is really based upon, uh, you know, having that Manny push for the whole year. I mean, he he can make a difference in – 162 games. If he even plays 130 of them,
0: <laughs> you know that
5: one or one or two home runs of his just gets them in the win column more often. And then there's a the very uh, intelligent managing of Joe Torrey. I mean, I I do appreciate him as a good manager, even though he was a Yankee. Um, and so I I think that that combination of uh, a few good uh, hitters and and Joe Torre is really going to surprise people with the Dodgers.
1: Yeah, yeah. My only concern about them is their pitching. It seems a little suspect, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't know too much about the National League. I don't follow it as closely. so. You yeah, know.
5: I think, once again, uh, one of those big market teams like the L.A. Dodgers, they've got that money to spend, and I don't think they'll hold back around the All-Star break. Yeah. And so I think that, just like they did last year with Manny, I think they're going to make the team stronger.
1: And then wrapping it up here for the National League wild card, you have the Phillies.
5: Yeah, I think the Phillies are still a very good team. I think they're a solid team. They've done some, a few things to, you know, strengthen up themselves. And so I see them at least pulling in the wild card, although I don't really see them going much further than that. Uh, You know, I think they'll, they'll, um, they'll come out of the, the AL, you know, championship games pretty high, but they won't beat who I think will come out of that.
1: Yeah. And then for those two teams, you have the Red Sox as the American League champions beating the Yankees and the Dodgers beating the Phillies for the National League championship. So you're looking looking forward to uh, possibly another Red Sox-Yankees war here for the American League championship. I would love that. That would be awesome.
5: Yeah, I, I just think the Twins, the Angels, or whoever come out of the Central and the West won't be powerful enough to take over whoever's coming out of the East. And I think it's really going to be East versus East. Uh, getting into the AL part. And then I do think the Dodgers will be very strong and I think the Phillies will be strong enough to con- you know, combat them, but they won't be able to defeat them. And, and so I think that in some ways my surprise team of the year is the Dodgers because I think they're going to get all the way to the, to the World Series. But, uh, of all of the years, I think that despite all of the kind of media and ink that we heard about the Yankees acquisitions in the end, the Red Sox pickups are going to be the ones that really carry them all the way through the World Series.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, John Smoltz alone is going to be just an amazing addition to the team and, and of equal value just some a couple of those big-name pitchers that the Yankees went out and got. And so you have the Red Sox winning the World Series here for 2009. Very exciting. So do I as well. So snow. Uh, With snow. With <laughs> yes, with little snow at the end of the game, right? Yes. Exactly. Well, considering they're pushing the World Series like all the way to November at this point, I wouldn't be surprised to uh yeah,
5: to see a little yeah.
1: snow, especially uh here in
5: Boston. I, I also predict that if they're going from LA to Boston, that some of them, the players will have colds and the flu. So it could be very interesting. Dropouts at the end.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, that'll get all the all the purists all the baseball purists up in a, up in a lather I think cuz I mean if if the rain delay was enough to get everybody all worked up last year uh if <laughs> if it snow and people are getting sick and stuff I can just hear the uh the guys on ESPN complaining about it now but it'll be and interesting And it's
5: all because of the new world order of course the the World Baseball Classic which is pushing everything further
1: Yes yes uh I would ask you about that but we're <laughs> we've already gone so oh, no, long no, sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, it's been fun so uh well those are your picks and and we'll put them here in the in the list and we'll keep an eye on them throughout the season and of course update people at the end of the season on who wins the banal league championship best of luck to you thank you uh what do you have in the pipeline coming up in the world of esoterica that people can look forward to you know any speaking engagements any upcoming books uh Anything you want to talk about appearances, stuff like that, that uh, people should know about? What have you been up to in the last year since we talked?
5: Uh, well, I, I've been—I'm uh, going to be on Monster Quest quite a bit this year. I've already been on uh, the Alligators in the Sewers and the Bigfoot Encounters, but Up and Coming is uh, the Yeti program, which will probably be the finale of the season. But there's other uh, other programs. Uh, I'm on an Animal Planet program, Beasts of the Bible, that's coming up uh, this month. And then, uh, I'll be talking in Texas and at the Monster Mash with you and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then down there, I think at Mount Washington probably during April. So Scotland next year. So it, it uh, everything's busy as usual.
1: That's awesome, Scotland. Wow, that sounds great.
5: Yeah, the Big Cats Festival.
1: Oh wow, that sounds great.
5: Strange and mysterious unknown cat. So I'm looking forward to that one.
1: Wow, that sounds interesting. And of course, people can always follow your stuff at cryptomundo.com and CopycatEffect.blogspot.com, Both amazing outstanding blogs. You got to stop by there every day. There's something fascinating and, and well worth your time to check out and read at both of those great sites.
5: Thank you, Tim. You've humbled me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I'm not uh, lying here. I do make them daily destination stops for me. So I mean I highly recommend them to everybody else too. Uh like I said, the you've been just in the zone over at the copycat effect and, and Cryptomundo is a, a must a must stop site every day because of you know, that's the that's the hub of cryptozoology news on the internet, so you know. Well okay. thank you. Thanks again for coming on the show, Lauren. I really appreciate it.
5: Okay, take care, Tim.
1: You're listening
3: to All of America Audio.
1: We continue onward here with the BOA Audio baseball special. Batting cleanup is the man who develops the much-discussed Costanza method of predictions last year. I think it may have been the, the most-discussed series of predictions on the baseball <laughs> special last year. And he really came frighteningly close to to striking gold with the Costanza Method. So uh, at first, a lot of us were kind of laughing, and then as the Tampa Bay team started picking up steam, it was like, wait a minute. Correctly, he's on to something, I think. You heard him here on the show, oh, you know, maybe a month ago. It wasn't too long ago, but he's back here now, officially a member of the Five Timers Club on Banal of America Audio. It's just him. Kimball, and Greg Bishop. It's a very select group of people, and we welcome him to the Five-Timers Club. We welcome him back here to the third annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. Adam Go Riley, great to talk to you once again.
4: I am indeed honored to be a five-timer. That's very uh, Discordian-like.
1: Excellent, excellent, yes. As you will know. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Now, as we know uh, from your appearances on the last two baseball specials, you are a diehard Giants fan. Uh, Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but it, I don't believe the Giants did too well last year. What were your thoughts on how the season shaped up? Of course, Tim Lincecum, uh, an amazing young pitcher, won the Cy Young Award, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, Barry Zito, uh, the guy that the Giants dumped a boatload of money on. He really uh, crapped the bed big time for the Giants last year, so... I don't know, what were your thoughts on the season as it wrapped up uh, in 2008?
0: Well, you know,
4: it's uh, funny. I'm turning into a fair-weather fan. I admit it. Every year since, uh, well, this is the third year we started doing this uh, baseball thing, man, my interest has been less and less because the uh, Giants have uh, continued to suck uh, and suck worse and worse each year, you know. And for the first time in a long time, though, for – few years now I feel this year could be a little different but you know think about the uh, team they're fielding this year you know when has there been a team that had uh, three Cy Young winners you know granted uh, Barry Zito has been stinking it up the last two years but recent reports my sources tell me suggest maybe he's finally uh, starting to turn turn it around a bit Uh, these are some scouting reports I'm hearing and like you said, of course, we know Lincecum is a bad mother shut your mouth, <laughs> and then when i uh you know in the off season, I heard they got Randy Johnson, and I thought, man, that seems like a weird signing. How much does he left in the tank? Then I got to looking at his record in the second half of last year, yeah, and he uh kicked some ass when he was healthy, actually, he had one of the best records in the national league, so who knows if he you know he stays healthy, he could you know, we could potentially have a menacing trio in those three, then not to mention Matt Cain, if you know him. He's oh, yeah. he's another young and up-and-coming pitcher and really would have had a much better record last year in the last couple of years if the Giants hadn't been so abysmal at uh, producing runs. Of course, therein lies the problem. Just, you know, where the run production going to come from this year, but... As far as their uh, position players, they seem to have finally decided to, after years, several years, to go with the youth movement. That's what you listen to the radio talk show, and I listen to one uh, sports channel out here in San Francisco, and for years, people have been calling in, bemoaning the fact you got all these dinosaurs, you know, but it finally seems that after all these years of the Barry Bonds Geriatric Ward, you know yeah maybe if with this youth movement if a couple of uh, these young guys can get hot and find some lightning in a bottle then the Giants could be a team to be reckoned with this year
1: absolutely yeah when I was putting together my picks they were definitely one of the teams and I'll admit I did not pick them but I was sort of on the fence about them I you know I feel like there is sort of a little bit of a buzz behind them and I don't think the Dodgers are all all they're cracked up to be with sort of a lousy pitching staff, and Arizona's yeah. kind of, you know, touch and go. Arizona's one of those young teams that could turn out to be really good or sort of just tread water again for another year or so.
4: And the Dodgers, you know, sold their soul for the devil, Manny Ramirez.
1: Yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Because it seemed like it was, you know, I don't know how serious the Giants were about getting him or not, but they seemed to be like the only team that even was remotely – mentioned outside of the Dodgers? Were you hoping they were going to get him, or were you just pessimistic that it was just
4: I, I knew, stuff? I knew it wasn't going to happen just because of their track record. They never seemed to shell out big bucks for those type of uh, big-name players, and probably a good thing they didn't. Uh, Manny being, shit, 38 years old now, and everybody's wondering, you know, he was all, Hugs and kisses and everything was wonderful last year, but you know what's going <laughs> to happen throughout the course of this relationship? You know, with the Dodgers, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop with him? I think that's, uh, yeah, that's that's real risky uh, bet in my mind to spend that kind of money on him. Just, just somebody that age, you know.
1: Yeah, you just never know what's going to happen with a guy like yeah. that. And he's so mentally all over the place that he could just get upset about something. And
4: <laughs> He he was uh, using the uh, Giants probably as a bargaining chip. Who knows how serious the Giants were. Kind of the same thing with uh, Kurt Warner did. Did you hear about that at the end of the uh, season?
0: Yeah, yeah.
4: You know, fort- 49ers flew him out and, him and <laughs> dined him and during the course of negotiations. uh Warner claimed that uh, Jesus or God spoke to him and said, uh, "You need to go back to the Cardinals, son."
1: <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> oh boy! One guy that I did see that the Giants signed that just made me practically pull my hair out in rage was Edgar Renteria, who had a just awful stint here in Boston. He was just terrible. He was beyond awful, and and to the point where the Red Sox traded him down to Atlanta and paid for him to play there. Pretty much because we just couldn't deal with him up here in, in Boston. He was with the Tigers last year and kind of lousy. And then he ends up in in uh, San Francisco and they grossly overpaid for him. I, I don't mm-hmm. know the exact number, it was like something like six or eight million or something crazy like that. Where it was like, who's who's running this team?
4: Well, I thought it was like eighteen million over a few years. Something like that, what, yeah. What I thought I uh, read, and the, you know, the dude. Uh, let me say, Reneria, I know the name, and I know he's had some good seasons and bad seasons. And I don't know. They need—he's a uh, shortstop, right? Yeah. So they needed some stability there. You know what? They've been going with that uh, geriatric ward thing, and they did have uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, Squirrel.
1: Okay. Yeah. Omar Vizquel
4: there for a couple years but god he was so agent ancient but i loved him but you know once they lost him they needed to get get some kind of stabilization there so i guess they went with uh, renteria but um you know as as far as the front office the guy who uh runs the team is brian sabian and i was a big fan of sabian's for many years he seemed to have the magic uh touch when the uh, Giants were, you know, a playoff team every, almost every year for like five or six years. Yeah. And I think what happened uh, with him, he got a, uh, there was a lot of pressure there with Barry Bonds those last few years to win. Yeah, And so they figured they needed to bring in all those veterans and that formula never worked. And so I think, you know, the same thing with the Zito signing, I'm not sure if, that was really sabian sabian wanted to do that but after you know bonds was in his last year so they felt the free agent market they need to make a big splash with uh, Zito back a couple years ago and i mean you, you gamble sometimes and you know uh, same thing with going with uh, bonds the last uh, year or two is mainly to get butts in the seats yeah you know, so uh, I'm not so I'm not as big a fan of Z- Sabian as I used to be, but we'll see how this goes this year with the uh, youth movement and this experiment of uh, bringing Randy Johnson in, and maybe Zito will finally pay off. I like I was saying, I was hearing things. Well, as far as the speed on his fastball or whatever he's. For the first time in a couple of years, he's kind of notched it up to where it used to be.
1: Oh, wow, nice. And
4: people are saying his mechanics are good. You know, he's turned it around. So, yeah, we'll see, you know.
1: Yeah, they're they're under the radar right now, and that's a good place to be, I think, when the season starts. Because then you sort of get... Into contention right away, like the like the, what happened with the race situation. You know, no one's really sure how to deal with this this team that nobody expected to be so good.
4: Well, you you know they're gonna the pitching staff I think is gonna be good. It's just they got to get a couple uh, people that produce some runs, and they got <laughs> their cleanup hitter is Benji Molina. Oh wow! Which isn't good, but hopefully <laughs> there's like a I can't remember the guy's name Kawasaki Ichi something. He's
1: the first baseman. Yeah,
4: and uh, he's he's got some power, so he he could be the dude. I mean, there's there's a few guys there.
1: Now uh, you were you were saying here before the show started that you were you wanted to talk a little bit about the baseball classic.
4: Well, I just wanted to say I thought the games were total crap.
1: Okay, well, that's perfectly fine.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't waste any time watching them once I saw what it was about, you know. You know, isn't baseball America's game, right?
1: I believe so, yes. It was invented here. It is our national pastime.
4: Baseball, hot dogs, apple pies, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since when did we start allowing foreigners to be part of the game that was invented in America? And, (laughs) you know, by God, it should stay American. (laughs) and and granted you know there's some great players like uh ichimoto whatever his name is with the mariners ichiro ichiro but you know by god you know if they're going to come over here and and play baseball then they need to renounce their foreigner citizenship and pay taxes you know
1: there you go okay i like that (laughs) so that's
4: where i'm coming from i guess Paul Kimball's been, you know, spouting about how great the World Classic games are, but you know, consider the source—another foreigner.
1: That's true. He is Canadian, so you can't trust him. That is Case true.
4: Closed. That's what I had about the World Classic games.
1: Wow. Well, now that you you put it in that light, yeah, that is kind. Of, he may be on some kind of subversive agenda to. Steal baseball from America?
4: You can't trust them, Canadians.
1: Well, um, we like the Canadian listeners, so uh, we... I think
4: I put him in his place. So
1: <laughs> there um... you go. I'll be interested to see his re- <laughs> his <laughs> response to that, and uh, you'll you'll be infuriated by his take on the baseball classic, man.
4: I'm sure I will.
1: Now, being out there in San Francisco, you said that they're desperate to put butts in the seats. Do so you attend many games out there at, uh, what's the name of the park out there? Well, they've changed
4: it. Yeah, I and was going to say
1: Candlestick, but it's not Candlestick. Anymore.
4: No, can- Candlestick was the old uh, park. Yeah. The hardcore people spill beer on you, and you get in fights, and probably like Boston.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you say
4: that, Boston? Baston? Anyway. <laughs> 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 and so... Over the years, I went quite a few games at Candlestick. It was just an atrocious place to uh, play. The wind was always blowing in there, and players hated it. But the new one is that great stadium, Pac Bell, which I've never been to. Oh, really? No, I haven't uh, yet, and uh, it's a whole different uh, crowd. I watch uh, get a lot of the games, and they're all in there with you know, they got their laptops and cell phones, and <laughs> they got all these bistros and stuff. It looks like a great park, but it's a totally different uh, Silicon Valley type of crowd. in oh, the well, old days.
1: I got it. that. That sounds like a nice kind of crowd, though. <laughs>
4: oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. When I was, uh, I think when I was in like third or fourth grade, my family went out on for vacation to San Francisco, and I did go to a game at Candlestick, and it was freezing. Yeah. Oh, so cold there. It was unbelievable. It was like, well, I'm in California. What's going on here?
4: But a lot of the old-timers, hardcore old-timers, say, God, man, these crowds now. Candlestick was the good old days, but <laughs> I don't think so. It was just a miserable place to play, especially for the players. They hated it. Hated it.
1: I can imagine if it was as cold where I was uh, playing there all the time, being, it, being that cold, it would be like, That would be a tough place to play, I think.
4: And the wind would do all kinds of crazy stuff in the outfield. But, you know, that's where a lot of the greats uh, played there, you know, Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. I actually saw Willie Mays play there in Candlestick, and I also saw him play at uh, Shea Stadium when he was with the uh, New York Mets towards the end of his career.
1: Oh, wow. Go rightly in New York. That sounds like an adventure. Uh,
4: <laughs> oh, I was just a little uh, <laughs> wee lad, twelve years old or so. <laughs>
0: um, I, I,
4: I was thinking that the last time you asked me to come on your, uh, or you know, been on your baseball show before, and you know, you asked me to come on again. And I thought, you know, cool. It's always fun to come on and talk b-ball. Yeah. You know. But then I got to thinking, how ludicrous. <laughs> is it to have ufologists and cryptozoologists come on and make baseball predictions? You know? <laughs> but, you know, hey, if it's a slow news day in esoterica, what the hell, I'm more than happy to come on and make a fool of myself.
1: Oh, please, uh, don't don't say that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Granted, you know, having uh, wannabe athletes turned ufologists coming on and flapping their lips about, you know, sports makes for entertaining radio at times, but... You know, really, who is less qualified to make sports predictions <laughs> than a bunch of nerdy UFO geeks and uh, Bigfoot trackers? <laughs> you, you know, and no doubt, you know, we washed out as athletes in junior high. And, <laughs> <laughs> now we live vicariously, you know, through a bunch of lunk-headed uh, dolts who make millions of dollars and probably wouldn't walk across the street to spit on us.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, part of the appeal of the baseball special is just to say, hey, you know, there's life outside of uh, esoterica, and, and uh, there's a lot of people that are so worked up about the paranormal that, you know, they don't really uh, take the time to stop and smell the roses, you know, and enjoy other stuff in life, whether it's baseball or TV or movies and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of the, the theme of the special, and and also to give people a chance to hear – uh, folks like Rich and and Lauren and and uh, and you and and Paul really goes off the beaten path most of the time when I talk to him anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah. uh, to to hear to hear these folks, uh, you know, talk about something other than UFOs and and Bigfoot and stuff like that. So,
4: uh, you, you know, it's interesting. People are always asking me if I saw the latest UFO hunters or ghost hunters or you know those paranormal shows and and. You know, I don't watch any of that stuff, and I really could care less at the end of the day, you know, about all the, a lot of the stuff, at least the stuff on TV, because such god awful crap, you know, and for the most part, most of my TV watching comes in the form of televised sports.
1: Absolutely, you know? yeah.
4: When it comes to human drama and reality TV, you know, don't get no better than the seventh game of the NBA Finals or the World Series. There, you know, there could be. Freaking UFOs landing on the White House lawn! But if they interrupted the NBA finals for that, man, I'd I'd be pissed. pissed yeah. You know, pissed at the aliens for, for <laughs> picking such a bad time for their landing, as well as the networks for thinking something that could you know could be more important than sports. You know, <laughs> really. Was
1: Wouldn't that, that
4: be cause for an intergalactic war?
1: It would be pretty hairy there. It would be pretty I, hairy. I, now it's time to uh, put your money where your esoteric mouth is. Here okay. it's prediction time once again. Now, what are your thoughts before we dive into the predictions uh, of your methodology this year? I know last year was the Costanza method. Are You going to stick with that that style, or are we going to look for something different? You know, all bird teams or teams whose you know names don't end with the letter S, like the Sox or something weird like that.
4: Well, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna try a hybrid method this year.
1: Interesting. A a
4: combination of, uh, I don't want to totally discard the Costanza method, you know? Yeah. It didn't quite do what I wanted it to do, but I think I'm gonna try this hybrid method I've been thinking about. Interesting. And, uh, if what I try this year doesn't work, uh, next year I'll hire a bunch of monkeys to draw names from a hat. (laughs) See how that goes. (laughs)
1: let's hear the hybrid method first and then we'll look at the individual divisions so what exactly is this mysterious hybrid method
4: Uh, Okay, so I'm looking I'm looking at the east and the first thing I'm looking for is the Costanza method who's who's at the bottom and am I going to pick them or is there a team what team do I hate the most in the east in the National League East and I'll make a decision. I'll either pick the team I hate the most, or I'll pick the team in the cellar. So that's where the hybrid comes into. And looking in the National League East, I really don't hate anybody, per se. So I'll go with uh, the
1: Nats. All right. Interesting. The Nats. Okay. Well, they do have some big signings from the off season there, Adam Dunn, and you know they're, they're in a little upheaval, a little turmoil going on there. But what else is new with the Nats? But
4: yeah, I was partially basing this on the uh, what's his name Dunn signing. Yeah, yep.
1: So they uh, they they could uh, they could make some improvements. All so right, there
4: were only 32 and thirty two and a half games
1: <laughs> out last year. So <laughs> yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at that now. Yeah, you only
4: you you never know. There's going to be one team, maybe two. You know that uh, come out of nowhere. It usually happens with the National League West because the whole whole division sucks so bad that anybody could win it either year. But
1: yeah, it's weird. I was just talking to I was talking to Lauren about that earlier today. Uh, how uh, like two years ago the West was amazing and and uh, you know they had to have the playoff game between Colorado and San Diego just to get into the playoffs and like there was like three teams that were that were playoff-worthy of the in the West. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it looked like they were going to be the hot division for a while. And then last year, oh, boy, did they stink. So, you know, yeah. it's always touch and go in the National League West. You
4: never freaking know.
1: Okay, now the, uh, the National League Central, who you got?
4: Do I hate anybody here? Let's go with, uh, I'm going to be bold again. Make sure I don't hate anybody.
0: <laughs> I, really,
4: I really don't hate any of these teams. So we'll go with uh, Pittsburgh, once again, using the Costanza method. Now, I know that's a long shot. Once again, you got to play the odds that somebody's going to come out of nowhere.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Pittsburgh, they could turn around. You never know. And the uh, National League Central is, is very tumultuous as it is. So we'll see what happens there. And then, of course, your home division the National League West, who you have coming out of there. I have a feeling it's going to be the Giants, but I don't know, maybe not. So well, let's hear it.
4: Well, no, I'm going with the hatred factor, and I'm going with the Los Angeles Dodgers.
1: All so, right.
4: Now, when, let's talk about wild card.
0: All
1: right, who you got right. I'm going to
4: mix card. it up some more, and I'm going to you know, throw the uh, Homer uh, you know, method into this as well and go with the Giants to win the wild card.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I like this. All right. See,
4: there's some logic behind this.
1: Yes, it's coming together here. I see the hybrid method, uh, the madness behind the method. And then, uh, all right, so we'll move to the American League here now. Who do you have in the American League East, the highly competitive uh, AL East?
4: You know, you see uh, Baltimore in the cellar, and you know they ain't got a chance in hell. So I'm, I'm tossing out the Costanza there, and let's go with Hatred. In the past, it's been a toss-up uh, between Yankees and the uh, Sox. How do you say that? The Sox?
1: That's pretty accurate, yes.
4: Okay. <laughs> but since they got rid of Manny, yeah. I'm going to have to pick the Yankees to win the uh, American League East. All right. I, I really hate he's uh, shut up his pie hole recently, but that new Steinbrenner in there.
1: Oh, he's terrible. He's, a, he's kind of entertaining, but yeah, he's unbearable with some of the crap that he says. Well, he wants to change the National League rules because <laughs> Chin Ming Wong, their pitcher, like broke his ankle or something running around the bases last year during interleague play. And now he wants to do away with the – he wants to <laughs> institute the DH or something in in interleague games. So uh the American League – You
4: think, he, you think he's injured. Charlie Finley or something?
1: I'm not sure. <laughs> and now here in the American League Central, uh you kind of already alluded to it. Oh, Yeah. But, I, uh, I hate
4: what? What's his name? Ozzy?
1: Uh, Ozzy Guillen?
4: Yeah, I don't like him either. So uh, well, oh. let me think about this. I see Detroit was in the cellar last year.
1: Yes, the the American League Central's ripe for Costanza method success. Forget the
4: hate and Ozzy uh, Guillen. Let's go with Detroit to win the uh, Central.
1: All right, and then the American League West. I don't like that owner with the. Uh,
4: what do they call themselves, the Los Angeles uh, Angels of Anaheim?
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: You know, that's kind of like saying the Angels, Angels of Anaheim, because that's what Los Angeles means. Yeah. That's kind of redundant, don't you think?
1: Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's, it's a mouthful, that's for sure.
4: But I don't think I hate them that much. Let's go with, uh, man, Seattle was 39 games out last year. Yeah, let's go with, let's do uh, Costanza. Seattle to win the American League East,
1: West, you mean? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the wild card. Who do you have in the wild card?
4: You know, this is a uh, Costanza method, uh, but it's also kind of Homer choice. But it fits fits with the criteria for Costanza.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, the Oakland A's to win the wild card.
1: Very intriguing, interesting. Okay, and
4: they did some. Uh, Intriguing things in the off season. Uh, Jeremy Giambi, and they picked up that holiday guy from. Uh,
1: oh yeah, they've and and uh, Orlando Cabrera. They're they're my pick for the oh, National League West. So
4: yeah, I th- yeah that Billy Bean. That's one smart dude.
1: Yeah, I think they're gonna be. I think they're gonna be a team to beat, and it's gonna be very competitive. I think in the American League West because Texas is improving, and the Angels, I think, are kind of treading water. I don't think they're really gonna develop into too much. And then, uh, who do you have now for the American League Championship and the National League Championship?
4: Let's have, um, I have not really thought about this yet, but since I'm the, I got the Giants into the, uh, playoffs, why not go all the, di- all the way?
1: All right. So Giants as National you League.
4: See how this is all coming together?
1: It is. This is like, this is like very James Shelby Downard esque here.
4: Yeah. And since we got Oakland in there. Let's have a uh, Bay Series again, with a Bay Bridge Series, whatever they called that back in the day.
1: Wow, very intriguing. Wild and, card uh, versus wild card. I like it. And,
4: and since we got San Francisco in the World Series, take them to win it.
1: All right. Sounds uh, we'll, good. We'll go
4: uh, six games.
1: Wow. This is and
4: a- we'll have um, <clears throat> Randy Johnson
1: will be the MVP. Whoa. Wow, very detailed here. <laughs> did, did, did
4: any did anybody stick their neck out that far?
1: Uh no, no one has has gone that far, although we do have uh several picks for the Cubs to win. That's pretty bold if you think about it because even though they're a good team, they haven't really they, they're like a deer in the headlights once the playoffs start. They're <laughs> they're my National League team. That's like my favorite National League team and
4: There's always the Bartman factor there.
1: Absolutely. Now we've wrapped up the predictions part, but uh there is another Whole element that you wanted to discuss here, and that's what we'll get into right now, and that is the other game of choice in the Go Rightly House. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Look at you're already chomping at the bit here. <laughs> and that is, of course, the NBA and the basketball season playoffs kicking off soon. I know you and I had some hilarious exchanges, at least on my end, <laughs> during the NBA Finals last year. You are a big Laker fan, of course. I am a fan of the C's, the Celtics. Mm-hmm. So. It was a little bit of a back and forth there but it was quite enjoyable. I actually really enjoyed also my drunken phone call to you uh <laughs> this <laughs> this year when they went into overtime and you you were like I'm watching it on TiVo. I'm an hour and a half behind you asshole. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and that was was that yeah that was Lakers and Celtics. That was a big game I felt uh that uh, a statement game like you said. Who knows uh, those games don't always mean something but I think that Did that? Told me a lot about the uh, Lakers at that point. It was, uh, it really kind of, uh, Changed the uh, Celtics season. I thought they'd really been on a roll till then. That was like mid-season when that game was the Celtics and Lakers.
1: Yeah, well they they played twice and Celtics lost both games. And they yeah, were, and both time the Celtics had like double-digit win streaks going on. The first time mm-hmm. it was like a big win streak. It was like twenty something games crazy something crazy like that. And the second time it was only like eleven games, but still, it was uh, demoralizing for us. So.
4: Yeah, and I usually hate the Celtics when we went back and forth. But this year, I don't, you know, they're kind of beat up, like you were saying. And I don't think their chances are that good. So it's uh, I'm finding less uh, reasons to hate them. But who knows, maybe they'll turn it around come the uh, playoff time.
0: Yeah, I hope so.
4: They're going to be one of the favorites, but it depends on, you know, what kind of shape Garnett's in going
1: in yeah he's pretty banged up and uh I I just feel like uh the LeBron and the Cavaliers are just, just unstoppable this year I don't know if what they're gonna do but then again the Lakers have stopped them so it, if they if they meet in the finals it's going to be a great series I think but uh you know hopefully the Celtics can at least putting in a good showing, and, and and I would love for a Celtics-Lakers finals again. I felt like that was awesome last year, just, just for the whole sport, really. It seems to, like, rejuvenate a lot of people.
4: Well, some suggest there is some kind of conspiracy behind getting those two teams back in there. You know, and it's what, uh, of course, what a lot of people wanted to see and what the networks wanted to see was the Lakers and Celtics. And I think, I don't know if we've had this discussion before on air, but uh, – you know, uh, the, how it went down with the Garnett getting, the Celtics getting Garnett, that totally turned around their franchise. And uh, you talk about conspiracies, that, you know, smelled of an inside deal. You had Kevin McHale, former, you know, Celtic great. Yep. He makes the deal <laughs> with Danny Ainge, who had. Before that, it had not distinguished them all. I thought thought he did a terrible job, you know, with the Celtics. Before, you know, before mm-hmm. they got uh, Garnett, all of a sudden he's some type of genius. I don't think so. They got Garnett. Then, you know, with that power there, they were able to bring in Ray Allen. And, of course, they already had the truth. So, all of a sudden, you know, they're a great team. So, uh, you know, we get uh, midway through last season, and Jerry West, former Laker great, yeah, former general manager of the Lakers, now with the Grizzlies.
1: Yeah, then there was a shady trade on that end, yeah. Yeah,
4: (laughs) I think he was getting back. He didn't want to see the Celtics, you know, waltz into the championship. So, uh, you know, that uh, Pau Gasol deal came down, which really changed the Lakers' fortune as well. So, you know, there's conspiracies uh, exist on all levels and stratas of society, and certainly in sports.
1: Absolutely. It seems like the NBA is rife with conspiracy talk, too, with the, uh, the whole thing with the draft lottery when they first started it, and there's a lot of yeah. talk about that, and then the whole thing with Jordan leaving for a year to play baseball, and a lot of people think he was, like, secretly suspended. So there's, there's a lot of weird conspiracies that float around the NBA. It's, it's weird like that.
4: Well, that's what I heard. You know, he went to play baseball with the White Sox, but he's always been, well, I don't know about now, but had that reputation of it as a, this is Jordan I'm talking about, about a heavy gambler. Yeah. And that he had gotten into trouble, and he was basically pushed out for a couple of years, you know, by Stern or whoever, to, to deal with that, and of course... You know, why would somebody at that age go into baseball and <laughs> think you're going to be successful?
1: It was pretty odd and, and in retrospect it does look rather uh suspicious.
4: And he, he did for let's see, he was probably in his early 30s. I mean, he did reasonably well at baseball, but you know, that that's uh <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's <that's> kind of <laughs> It's kind of a late age to be picking up a new uh a new career like that. So Yeah. Yeah, it did seem kind of weird. Is there anything else you want to talk about, or should we wrap it up here?
4: I would just say for the uh, playoffs, I'm predicting the Lakers will win the uh, championship. All right. A few few things need to happen, but I think they've shown a couple times during the season, I thought they were the best team in the league. What's happened, I think, is that they have a tendency to cruise. Yeah. And so, of course, the Bynum uh, Losing Bynum, that was a big hit, but I think they can win the championship with or without uh, Bynum. But uh, yeah, it will be the Cavs and the uh, Lakers, and it all depends on, really depends on the play of Lamar Odom.
1: Yeah, he's a question mark. He was kind of disappointing for you guys last year, so.
4: Well, at times this year, you know, when they when he's kicked ass, if he if he kicks ass, the Lakers will. Reign supreme.
1: I'm always taken by how well-spoken Paul Gasol is, too. If you ever see his, like, press conferences afterwards, he's he's amazingly, like, eloquent, but then you look at him and he looks like, <laughs> an, like he's like an ogre. <laughs> well, we have this actually. When we were watching the playoffs last year, I, we have a rule that every team has to have at least one guy that we call the creature, which is just someone who's just, like, just repulsive or, or like, looks like someone out of a, a sci-fi horror movie or something That's like kinda
4: that. That's kind of like Garnett.
1: Well, actually, for for the Celtics, it was Sam Cassell.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got that alien baby thing yeah. going
1: on. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So,
4: you know, it was funny a few years back. <laughs> I was listening to uh, oh, who's that ESPN commentator, Dan Patrick? Yeah. Off the radio show, he gets kind of off the wall sometimes. In the NBA, you know how they do all this, these phony charities and crap, mm-hmm. make you think they're such wonderful people. A group of them, Kobe and Garnett and whatever, are doing some Christmas thing. And they all had Santa caps on. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Patrick was, uh, he was interviewing Kobe later and they were talking about, and Patrick brought this up that, uh, Garnett with his, uh, Santa cap on looked like the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> And he was saying he, he, he's saying he's kind of nudging Kobe, didn't didn't he look like the uh, Grinch? And, well, man, I, you know, I'm not going to go there. And he said, uh, and uh, Patrick asked him, how do you think he'd like that if we said he looked like the Grinch? He said, uh, uh, probably not at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, I'll be keeping in touch with you uh, during the playoffs as, as they unfold, and uh, I'm looking forward to probably a very competitive Eastern Conference championship.
4: Hey, I, I hope the Celtics are there.
1: I hope so, too, I hope so too. So we kick
4: I just the crap out
1: of you oh, we'll see what happens we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens the, the Lakers are hungry this year, and they're all for revenge. That's for sure and uh the Celtics may be a little too fat and happy. We'll see what happens as long as uh my boy, big baby Glenn Davis, gets to keep playing,
0: yeah,
4: as long as he quits uh crying like.
1: A, <laughs> <laughs> what was up with that? <laughs> I have no idea. He's a strange cat, dude. He's one of the strangest guys I've ever seen out there. After they won the championship, he took like he had, like, glamour shots with the trophy. I'll have to send it to you. They're, they're bizarre. They're like, oh, you, really,
4: you really like him, huh?
1: Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's funny. He's pretty yeah. cool. Okay, he, yeah. He, he's improving. He's playing hard, so.
4: It maybe just a sensitive guy, you know. Didn't... <laughs> Garnett shoot him out a little bit, and he's not afraid to show his uh, – weak feminine side <laughs> for all the home viewing audience.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. So uh, so what What do you have cooking You know uh, that, that people should be looking forward to in, in the next few weeks and months and, and down the line until the next time we hear from you on the show? What's up with the Manson book? Is that going to yeah, be in that, people's that's hands the main, soon?
4: Yeah, that's the main thing. Um, slated for release in August, which is the 40th anniversary. Awesome. And uh, planning some uh, different things in L.A. We're going to have a... Uh, Book launch at the place called Soap Plant Wacko. Wow, which, which is a uh, famous uh, spot there. I think it's kind of in the Hollywood area. It's a real neat uh, venue. It's kind of a combination of a um, bookstore, and they sell crazy little toys and stuff. They also have an artist gallery there where they had cutting edge. Art, so the plan right now, um, I was talking to you earlier, I'm in a group that's recorded a couple Manson songs uh, that are going to um, be available with, like, the first hundred copies of the book, and we're going to take that band and we're going to uh, play there that night. I told the dudes, hey, man, we're getting the band back together.
1: Nice, nice. Now, these, these are Manson songs. Do, do you have to like, go through – does he have an agent and shit to get, to get the rights to it? How do you do that sort of thing?
4: Uh, these are original compositions. They're just a couple of songs about oh, okay. the man- Manson family thing. All
1: right. I thought you were family. playing like some of Manson's songs, the ones you wrote. No, read.
4: no. These, these are all original uh, compositions. And uh, the name of the group is Good News for Modern Man. Nice. A bunch of old uh, – buddies going way back. It's like the uh, drummer I've known since kindergarten. Wow. (laughs) Nice.
1: Sounds good. And Uh. and
4: so, yeah, that's uh, going on. I'm going to do a couple things in L.A. And this uh, book launch, it's So Plant Wacko. It's going to be August 9th when the murders started. And uh, then a couple days after that, I got another book uh, reading, signing thing in L.A. at a place called Book Soup. And then I hope to line up a uh, few more things, so we're trying to, uh, you know, make a big splash here for this, uh, you know, reissued, updated version of the Shadow over Santa Susana.
1: Nice, nice. Well, you'll have to get me a copy of that. I know you sent me the original version, but now I'll just wait for the new version, I guess, so...
4: Yeah, and I, uh, I will do that.
1: I'll dig that, dig into that, and we'll have you back on in uh, season five for some Manson discussion. I'm a big Manson buff, so I'll be really interested to dig into the book.
4: Holy shit, that'll be my sixth appearance.
1: I know, I know. At that point, I think you will have taken the lead. <laughs> wow. Yes, because uh, Greg Bishop is not tentatively scheduled to return. Actually, I think this baseball special may be his sixth appearance, so he'll, he'll
4: oh he'll, damn,
1: he'll damn stay him. one ahead of you. So. But you'll catch him, and we'll see what happens after that. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, folks can always find out more from you at a d a m g o r i g h t l y A-D-A-M-G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y.com, and, of course, the always entertaining blog, gorightly.wordpress.com, Untamed Dimensions, an amazing place, definitely a worthwhile stomping ground for people who want to find out some weird news and and just your thoughts on, you know, everyday esoteric happenings.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm happy with that uh, blog. You know, when I first started doing it, I wasn't sure, but it's come out pretty cool. So
1: yeah, I, uh, I really enjoy it quite a bit. Thanks, man. All right, well, it was great having you back on the show, Adam, even though we just had you on for uh, a month ago, but it's always great to have you on no matter what, and uh, always to discuss baseball here on the baseball special. You were part of the inaugural special three years ago, and hopefully uh, we'll continue this tradition onward uh, as BOA Audio continues.
4: Yes, go Lakers, go Giants. Hey come here.-
3: You're listening to the of America Audio.
1: Welcome to the fifth and final segment here on the BOA Audio Baseball Special making his record-breaking sixth appearance on Banal of America Audio. He now holds the record for most appearances by any human being ever on the show. So it's a a historic moment for him, and he's maintained that one-episode lead on Go Rightly now for a a good while. And and poor Adam and I were talking about it last night, and I said, well, maybe you'll catch Greg when – when I, when I have you on next year, and then I said, oh, shit, wait, Greg's coming on tomorrow. <laughs> he's, he's ahead of you again. <laughs>
6: Even though I'm the last one on the baseball special every time.
1: That's a good spot for you, though. That's where you put your best hitter. You're driving in the runs for us here. All right. And, uh, of course, well, he's already spoken now, so the surprise is gone, but that doesn't really matter because you probably know who it is. And it is uh, the illustrious Greg Bishop. He's back on the show uh he was on for the historic double guest double episode back uh on the turn of the year and now here he is three months later appearing on the show for the baseball special, third time for this. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Always great to talk to you.
6: Yeah, same here. I'm I'm glad I'm still ahead of Adam rightly <laughs> Yeah, well he's oh, he he stopped teasing me about the Giants, but the the season started again, so it's gonna start right up. And uh yeah, and the Giants beat the Dodgers today in spring training ten to eight.
1: Nice, nice, right. uh <laughs> Spring training means nothing. That's pretty much true. That's yeah, true.
6: unless you're winning every game. This is great. This spring training, they're going to be great. Yeah, it never. I don't think it's ever predicted how the team's going to do. Almost never.
1: Yeah, because half the time the games end like you know in the seventh or eighth inning because you know they got some scrub minor leaguer reliever in there and some scrub minor league uh, you know hitter for the other team ends up you know hitting a grand slam or something. Yeah, and it's like these guys will neither ever be in the majors this year, maybe, you know, towards the (laughs) end. Exactly. (laughs) So these are, like, not even real games. Right. So what's cooking here with your beloved L.A. Dodgers? They, They ended up making the playoffs. They acquired Manny last year in a heartbreaking move. From my end here in Boston, uh, quite a clusterfuck of, of epic proportions. And unfortunately for me, it happened like literally right as I arrive in San Diego. So I'm, I'm all downtrodden about that. And then every clown in San Diego is like, hey, thanks for Manny. Even though they're in San Diego, which didn't make any sense, but apparently there's uh, <laughs> what,
6: what are they, insane? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah,
6: well, cause they, yeah, well, they, they, they suck so bad, it just means that they'll have more exciting games in San Diego.
1: I guess so. I guess so. But I heard it, like, everywhere, and I was like, oh, yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> A <laughs> so, lot of the fans
6: were happy to see him go, but they're stupid fans.
1: <laughs> so you guys, uh, the LA crew really, uh, benefited hugely from that, and then you got to... Have a dose of Manny being Manny here in the off-season, just get an idea of what it's like to deal with, with Manny and Scott Boris and all that madness.
6: No, I put it all on Scott Boris because I still think that if he got hit by a truck, that um, immediately the, there'd be like twenty, thirty percent more fairness in uh, salaries.
1: That's probably true. I mean, that guy really is, uh, I think he's bad for the game in the long run, so.
6: Yeah, I mean, anytime I, you know, some guy gets signed on the team, Agent Scott Boris said, and it's like, oh no.
5: Yeah,
1: yeah. Not another one. Yes. yeah, that always, yeah. I'll be looking at a player and they'll be like, I'll, I'll, I'll see that he doesn't have Scott Boris as an agent. And then I'm like, all right, so there's a chance. So there's a chance. Yeah, exactly.
6: So I, I put a lot of that, that, what you called Manny being Manny on Boris, but, It seems like in the press releases that um, Manny was taking uh, responsibility for a lot of the (laughs) decisions or non-decisions or weirdness that was going on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like Manny, he he seems a little more personable over there. I don't know. Maybe he really was miserable in Boston, but we loved him here. I don't know why he hates us so much. I think it's just the media and being harassed by fans and stuff like everywhere you go.
6: Yeah, well, here everybody loves him, and even if he sucked – the the nature of people in LA in California they probably wouldn't even say anything to him they'd probably just be happy to see him even if he sucked if he was being a dick maybe not but, but uh-huh. he's never going to suck
1: <laughs> exactly yeah he's uh he's unbelievable he's really good i i really i miss him here in boston even though he was kind of a headache to deal with at times It wasn't my headache though so what do i care
6: you know i don't know did it all come from him or you know they nobody in the clubhouse said well good he was being such a dick or or, you know, Manny didn't say these guys are treating me like crap or anything that I that I noticed. So I don't know what the problem was.
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure. I know that recently Applebaum did say in an interview that, he, that Manny was a cancer in the locker room, but this is like way after the fact, so, you know. Yeah,
6: well, bad living will give you cancer, too,
1: so... <laughs> That's true, that's true. Now, what's going on here with the Dodgers, aside from Manny? Uh, I really couldn't get behind them here when I was putting together my predictions, and we don't need your predictions just yet, but right. I do kind of want to get your take on the state of the team because I'm sure you know them much better than I do, and I'm just not feeling them this year because they're pitching. They lost Derek Lowe, and I don't know, I just feel like their pitching's not really together. What? Well, maybe you can enlighten me. Uh, do they have some skilled pitchers that I just haven't heard of, or, or, or are you getting worried about that aspect?
6: Yeah, sure I'm worried. I don't know what they were doing with not picking up, uh, some pitchers. I mean, I, they're all happy they picked up. Who was it recently? Uh, Omen, they picked up recently as a, as a swing guy, bullpen guy. And, um, who was the other guy they picked up? I can't remember anyway. Well, they got Jason Schmidt. If he if he ever heals up, <laughs> um, Kuroda, who's, you know, almost, you know, he's a workable workhorse dude. Randy Wolf, who's like average. And then uh, Billingsley and Kershaw, who are like the phenom guys, and Billingsley has been seasoned a year, and I think he's going to be seasoned another year. And he'll probably be like, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if he's like the ace in 2010.
1: Interesting. All right. So they're kind of percolating there with a few uh, old-timers sort of holding up the end.
6: Yeah, I was I was sorry to see Lowe take off. Where do he go, Boston?
1: Atlanta. Atlanta,
6: that's right. But, you know, if he's, if he's unhappy, you keep him here, it's going to be even worse. So you know, it, it a fairly dependable guy. Except sometimes in the late innings, he'd he'd uh, melt down. Actually, sometimes the early ones. Glad to see Brad Penny go.
1: Okay. Um, okay. Who has
6: him? Who has him now? Is that Boston?
1: Now Boston has Brad Penny. Why are you glad to see him go? Because I'm hearing you know mixed reviews on him. Uh, you know, personality-wise and stuff.
6: Yeah, well, the person, it, you know what, it's kind of a, a flip side of, or the same thing with the uh, Manny. He just was unhappy, and he had a bad attitude, and the people around him had a bad attitude, and it just wasn't working out, and he he played hurt, and all this stuff, and it sounded like he was making excuses for playing hurt. And it was like, well, if you're hurt, you should say something about it. Don't be macho and screw the team. So, you know, that was just something that was was bound to happen, and I don't think he's going to do very well, and A uh, New York fan today pointed out, Yankees, unfortunately, fan. (laughs) The manager of my softball team actually today pointed out to me that he said that he's glad that Penny's there because he's going to have to face AL East hitters and he's going to melt, and I agree with him. And then the other one, they got Saito, and they're all excited and wetting their pants over Saito, but he got got hurt and he was really um, ineffective for like the last two or three months.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the deal with that guy is. I'm sure you've seen him more than I have.
6: Oh well, he was, you know, he was almost, he was practically lights out when he was good, which was for like what two years here. I mean, it, it was almost, almost, but not quite. It was like 75 percent of the uh, Gagne stuff when he came out. Oh wow. Um, you know, people would go, you know, Gagne was just, he was monster. what did he, he still? Does he still have the record for consecutive saves? Like, I think so. Yeah a hundred or some ridiculous amount.
1: Yeah, something crazy like that, but he's completely awful now, so... Oh, yeah,
6: he sucks now.
1: Yeah, he's, uh... I, he stopped uh, taking the juice, and he sucks. That seems to be the case. That's what seems to happen with some of these guys.
6: Yeah, well, I hope it happens to A-Rod.
1: <laughs> I know, I hope so, like, too.
6: Doesn't look like it's going to. I think he got scared real early on, and he's already gone through his his uh withdrawal, or whatever they call it.
1: Yeah, probably. It seems like, uh, but the rigorous testing and everything—I'd be surprised if he was doing anything. But you never know what—you know—they're always one step ahead anyway. So he could be on the oh
6: yeah, I mean, there's or something. Yeah, they're they're on something that's like you know clear to the tenth power by now that nobody even knows about. So.
1: Yeah, who's the guy there that retired from the Dodgers? Uh, Jeff Kent? Yeah, he finally retired. I mean, it, uh, last year at the beginning of the year, he
6: looked like he had some hope, and then he just kind of went downhill from there. He's just getting old.
1: Now, how did you think Joe Torre did as the first uh, first year managing the team? I think he did a great job.
6: He, you know, it, it's funny. It, I had gotten used to not seeing small ball here, and I saw it again last year, and I liked it.
1: Nice, nice. A lot of that discord that we heard about before in the locker room seems to have uh, ended.
6: Yeah, well, the thing is that, um, you, know, it, you know, it's funny. It's an L.A. and uh, New York thing. Coming from New York, where you know pe- people like Johnny Damon has to cut his beard and his hair to be on the team, yeah. there's a little bit of discipline going on there. And I think the way that Tory runs it is like with this: quiet, take you aside and and say something in no uncertain terms to get you back in line.
1: Yeah, it seems to be that way. He's a good coach. I have a lot of respect for him. So, yeah.
6: and I think that I think that worked to uh, to the to an advantage here. I think that you know people like. Leadership, even people that are making you know ten million dollars a year, they like some direction and they like somebody to tell you. You know, they're playing a kid's game, and they get they t- You know, if you let them, they're going to act like kids. I would.
1: Exactly. Why? You know.
6: Manny does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but now I know you went to a few games there because I saw your tickets uh, when I was visiting you in LA. So uh, are you going to be attending any this year?
6: Yeah, we we went and got. Um, I can't. Uh, I got canned a couple of years ago from a uh, not canned. I got laid off, um, and I couldn't buy season tickets anymore. I had field level front row season tickets for like what six, seven years. Oh man. And it was way off in right field, but nobody stood up in front of me, and I could go anywhere in the stadium. Like, I'd I'd walk over to – I'd go up to the next level and just sit behind home plate. Weird. Because if you have tickets for the field level, you can go anywhere in the stadium. You're not supposed to, I mean, but, you know, you can go anywhere from the field to the top anywhere, which is why I like those tickets.
1: Yeah, that's cool.
6: But now we've got some tickets in the reserve level, which is, like, two up from the field. It's below the highest, nasty, like, $8 seat level. But we're, like, even with first base. And I like being on the first base side because most of the stuff goes on there. And plus, if I have binoculars, I can see into the Dodger dugout and see what's going on.
1: That's cool. <laughs> now, what games are you going to be going to? Do you know who they're going to be playing?
6: You know what? Let me grab the tickets and look. We got the package of, like, 29 games or something. Nice. And the reason we got that is because my wife and I, is because um you can pick the games you want to because the other ones are packages and you have to go to these certain games. But yeah. I don't want to see the Rockies again. <laughs> Or the Pirate, I mean the, uh, the the San Diego again. Actually, I'm going tomorrow night to see them play the Angels in exhibition.
1: Nice.
6: Wow. So I got opening day with the Giants. Oh, wow. Then the Rockies, Diamondbacks, Mets on May 18th. I'm getting Angels. jealous here. Oh yeah. D Backs Mariners on uh in June.
1: A little interleague nice.
6: Yeah, yeah, Mariners have come last time the Mariners were here, they had the best big giant fight I've ever seen on the field. Really? Yeah, um who was it that started that? I can't remember how the fight started, but there were three segments of fight. Like they went out all went out bench clearing brawl, then they all went back to the benches, and then somebody came out and stood in front of the Dodger dugout and started taunting them and they all came out again. Oh weird. And then they, then it calmed down, and then it happened again. It took like half an hour to get everything calmed down, and there was trash all over the field. It was fun. <laughs> Houston, Cincinnati, ah, Braves. I got Braves in August, like three games. Cardinals, Cubs. I got all the Cubs games. Wow. That's going to be fun.
1: Uh, D-backs,
6: Padres, and then um, near the end of the year, Pirates.
1: Nice. you like practically seeing almost every team. Yeah. No, I, I,
6: they, they give you a calendar, and then you just pick the games, you know. And I, I'd made a list up before I before we went down to the stadium. And we went there on a rainy day, bought the tickets, and then they said, Do "You want to see your seat?" So they took us up there, and I used to be like in row M or something. Now we're in row like D, which is nice.
1: Nice well, on the
6: on the right side of the uh, section because if you're on the left side of the section, not really when you're even with first base, but if you're on, on the left side. Uh, if you're on the right side of the field and on your left side of the section, people are constantly getting up and down, up and down, and in your way and blocking your view of the game. Yeah. So I always ask for the, you know, if I'm on the right field, right side, put me on the right side of the se- section. So I got like seat one and two, so it's excellent.
1: Nice, nice. I'm jealous. Damn, I wish uh Well, you got to come out. I'm going to have to. Sounds fucking amazing. Jesus. Uh, like you you got to be lucky here to get tickets. You got to like someone's got to give them to you or something. That's sort of how it works around here, so.
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, because you yeah, they 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 get sold. Out. People have season tickets for like, you know, 100 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People there with season tickets from the last time uh, well, the last time of the 20th century that Boston won the World Series, which was what like 1928 or 32 or something.
1: 1918.
6: Yeah, before they before they heated up at the in, in the o in the O's in the
1: 2000s. Yeah, in the Ots. <laughs> uh, the
6: Ots, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was the uh, old Yankee chant at uh, Yankee fan chant at the uh, Red Sox team, 1918.
6: So. Oh, okay. A, a friend of mine from um, New York told me that he no, no, he's from Boston, but he said, <laughs> he said people used to say Yankee sucks at the Celtics games.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll break into a Yankee sucks chant anywhere if <laughs> anywhere it is possible to start a chant that chant will will start it's pretty amazing that's a, it's a, one of the good things about being a part of the rivalry is just how intense it is
6: yeah there there's some here with san francisco obviously yeah uh going back to you know new york days but i don't know i i don't feel it the o- the only thing i fe- you know i feel like more intensity uh, which makes the game a lot more fun and also, there's a lot more fights during um, Giants games. I mean, fights in the stands. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, half the time there's people fighting, and, you know, I'll watch the fight, and if there's something good going on, I'll watch it. But if not, I'll just watch the game. And then, you know, everybody in the section standing up to look, and you have to look around them, which kind of stinks. The other thing I hate at baseball games, beach balls. <laughs> I hate those goddamn beach balls. What are you here to do? If you want a beach ball, go to the beach. There's a game going on, people.
1: Yeah, it is kind of weird. I take a
6: pin with me, and if the ball comes near me, I pop it. <laughs> I hide it in my fingers, and I hit the ball. And when I hit it, I pop the ball, and so within like two more hits, it's deflated.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe you can settle this debate here. My friend and I are talking about the wave, and uh, I, I think – that, too. I do – I, I kind of dislike it myself, and my – I'm under the impression or the theory that it, the wave is actually started by someone in the who works for, like, the stadium or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I, when I went to a Padres game last year, I think I did notice that because we were in the far end where, theoretically, the wave would start. Yeah. There was, like, a dude down there in front of our section who looked like he worked for the stadium trying to get everyone to do the wave.
6: Uh, there's all some fruit down there trying to get people to do the wave. <laughs>
1: So do you think it's do you think the wave happens naturally at every game or that it's actually instituted by you know some kind of uh, hocus pocus?
6: No, I think it's um, retired high school male cheerleaders that start the wave. I don't think it has anything to do with the management.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. See, that's that's an esoteric story we need to pursue and find out how the wave. Ever seen
6: anybody starting the wave that was a big mooc? It's always some like guy with a real high pitch, and i'm not I'm not anti-gay, I'm not homophobic or anything. I think there should be gay marriage and all that. It's just that it annoys me when somebody's standing there starting a stupid wave in the middle of a game, even if it's a boring game.
1: yeah, well, some people, I guess have to be entertained or, or feel like they're part of the show or something. I'm not sure what
6: i'm I'm perfectly happy, and I think anybody who pays money to go to a baseball game is there to see a game and not to, not to you know, a wave or anything like that. I, it, it detracts from my and, and a lot of people's enjoyment on the game. Although, you know, the whole goddamn stadium is doing it. So what do I know?
0: Yeah. I've never
6: participated in a wave in my entire life. Wow. When it comes by, I just sit there. <laughs> wow. That's bold. Oh, well, nobody ever gets mad at me for it.
1: <laughs> do people try and make you do it?
6: No, no. <laughs> No, I mean, I, maybe it's an L.A. thing, but, you know, it's like, do whatever you want, dude. You know, it, it's only if you, you know, I, I've seen people like getting to yelling matches and fights and stuff like that, but it's it's never over the game. It's like, you know, people that are really unhappy anyway and they just want to fight. Yeah, or just really drunk. Or really drunk or both, yeah. Yeah. I, I only know this because at one point in my life I was full of rage and I, for some reason I found myself wanting to ha- to get in fights for about six months, and I was like, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> that's where that comes from. Okay, somebody's really pissed off and unhappy with their life, and they just want to beat people up.
1: Yeah, there's some strange people out there, and you, you do run into them, especially at the ballpark.
6: Yeah, um, it, it, that's the other thing. If, it depends on the section you sit into. You sit on the field, no fights, <laughs> no yelling. Well, there's some yelling. Um And then you sit one more, sit the loge section, no real fights. Um You get up into the reserve where we are, occasional fight. Outfield pavilions fight every game.
1: <laughs> it must be like how, how the price of the ticket works. Oh, yeah,
6: yeah. I mean, the less money you have, the more chance there's going to be that you're really pissed off, which I totally understand.
1: That's true. Now, did you attend the, the World Baseball Classic game there or no? No.
6: I, I wanted to go and – um the, the night of the final game, the Korea Japan and Korea game, um, I found nobody wanted. Nobody else wanted to go, and the wife wasn't going to be home till after it started from work. So it's like I'm not working right now. I don't think I'm going to spend the money. Yeah. So I just stayed home and watched it on TV, which is which was good enough.
1: You should um, you should have had Kimball out there. He's a huge Baseball Classic fan. Oh, is he? Oh yeah. When you hear his segment on the show, it's like ninety percent World Baseball Classic.
6: Really? Okay. I remember hearing, um, recently, I remember, like, it's years ago. <laughs> recently, uh, there were people, uh, there were, co- like, color guys or something talking during the game. And, um, oh, they were talking to that idiot, Bud Selig. The subject came up, you know, why doesn't the U.S. do so well? And this was this big question. It's like, well, it's obvious why they don't do so well. It's because they have, like, second string, a lot of second string guys in there. Because the expensive guys, you think they want the team wants to risk getting them hurt? Exactly. There's just no way the U.S. is ever going to win that, really, unless all the other teams suck. And you know, it's you know, eventually um, uh, a Latin American team is going to win. I bet. I'm, I'm sure of it.
1: Yeah, the Dominican really shit the bed this year, but I guess they were kind of didn't take it too seriously, from from what I hear. So. Oh really? All right. Now we should probably move into the predictions part of the show now, so we can get your your picks here. Uh, You'll be the last person I already posted my picks, so I'm not influenced by anyone else's uh, I didn't do that last year, and I was sort of uh felt influenced so <laughs> this year, I made sure to post them before I talked to everybody, and as I said, we've already gotten everyone else's predictions, and now you will complete the puzzle. The band is officially back together here for the baseball special. All right, are you ready to roll into predictions
6: yeah and and um, maybe you can do me a favor by not asking me why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fine. If you have a feeling uh of why you can volunteer it, but otherwise I will not require. Okay. It. <laughs> All right. Since you're since you're our National League representative, you and go rightly, we'll start in the National League. So, who do you have for the National League East? Uh Phillies. Okay. National League Central? Cubs of course. All righty. National
6: League West? Well, I guess I have to say the Dodgers, don't I? <laughs> and it's it's legitimate cuz San Francisco sucks horribly um San Diego sucks probably even worse. Diamondbacks would give them a run but they just haven't built up enough yet. Yeah. Mainly it, they're going to hit them to death. Cuz the pitching the is Yeah, I mean if uh, I I predict there's going to be a lot of high scoring games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. More,
6: more than last year, um, they're just going to have to realize Manny and and everybody else is just going to have to realize they got to out hit people, which they will do.
1: Yeah, I think they they have a great lineup. It's going to be an interesting battle between them and the Diamondbacks because uh, the Diamondbacks have great pitching, with suspect hitting, and then you know yeah. the Dodgers are the other way around. So
6: yeah, they got for Kyle Manny. I got a list here: Casey Blake, who nobody ever hears about, but is,
1: is very good. Yeah, he's very awesome. good.
6: Um, Russell Martin, of course. Ether, who's who's still doing good. He's all he's all healthy now. They got O Dog, which is great. Uh, Matt Kemp, who's amazing, and Loney, who's amazing. James Loney. So that's like that's like that's that's almost a murderer's lineup.
1: Yeah, that's a strong lineup. You yeah. like Orlando Hudson? I forgot all about them signing him. Yes, I do. If he sucks, he'll be good. Are you disappointed they got rid of Andrew Jones?
5: What kind of a question is that?
6: <laughs> I don't know what the Rangers are going to do with him. I guess they're just going to have him ride the bench. What did I read recently? I think he's um, in the minor Oh, yeah, somebody leagues. said, congratulations, Andrew Jones. You're the 25th most indispensable Ranger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he really, He uh, really fizzled out there. I wonder if he was a juicer, too. Who knows? I don't know. Some of these guys, they make you wonder. Alright, now for the National League wild card, who do you have?
0: Uh Mets.
1: Alright, nice. So we we have pretty close predictions, but we flip flopped the East and the Wild card, so that's good. Oh, okay. All right, then in the American League, the American League East. Just to spite
6: Boston and especially New York, Tampa Bay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You're the only you're the only guy who picked Tampa Bay for the East, so
6: well, you know, I would would probably pick you know, the Yankees will probably do it because they've been off the they've they've like tanked so many times in the last few years. But like I said, just to spite, just out of a just out of a I don't I don't I don't like uh the Yankees and um Boston always gets the call, I'm gonna say Tampa Bay. Even though they're not as good they're not gonna be as good as they were last year.
1: All right, yeah. Well they could be go either way, so it'll be interesting yeah, to yeah. see how, how they turn out. Um and the American League Central twins? All right. Sounds good. American League West? No contest. Angels. Wow. Okay. All right. Why? What did everybody else say? Most everybody else said Angels as well.
6: And uh, Rich, Did anybody say, because uh, a couple people I read up said Oakland. is like, what?
1: I picked Oakland, baby. Yeah? Yeah. I think with their improved lineup and their ability to sort of develop pitching, I think they have a chance. And uh, I'm not really impressed with uh, the Angels this year, I feel like. They just, uh, they lost their closer there, and they lost to Shara, and... Uh, well, they got
6: three guys, like, three, three like, um, giant killers on the DL right now, I think.
1: Yeah, so, so but I that's think... that's not the whole year. Yeah, exactly, and I think, uh, I really hate John Laggy, and he hates Boston, so... It's <laughs> a mutual hatred. He said after they lost in the playoffs, he's like, oh, the better team didn't win. It's like, what are you... Oh, what a dick. Yeah, it's like, what are you talking about, dude? The fucking Red Sox beat you. That's just the end of the story. There's no, you know, it's like... Obviously, the better team did win because fucking we're going on to the next level, and you and you lost. So
6: wasn't it last year when the um, Phillies beat the Dodgers for the for the uh, NL Championship pennant? Yeah, they actually came out on the field and shook hands with them.
1: Yeah, the, Do- the Dodgers are a classy organization. I'll say that much. They were really
6: no. The, yeah, that's right. The Dodgers came out and said, "You know, good game." It's like what? Unheard of. Absolutely unheard of.
1: Yeah. So yeah, Rich Dolan said that the the Angels would win in in a runaway, and that's why I had I had the same reaction as I did just now when you kind of said the same thing because I think it's going to be a little more competitive in the West and the Rangers. Well, yeah, that'll be
6: good. I mean, is uh, Oakland still doing the Moneyball deal?
1: I'm under the impression, yeah, but they is they, Billy Bean still running them, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so, but I'm not positive. But I know they went out and got Holiday. Yeah, Orlando Cabrera. And uh Giambi, so you know you slide Giambi in as the d h that might be a good move, so yeah, you know, and uh, you never know what they're pitching. They always seem to come up with some young pitcher that's really good that they, but like I said to Lauren, when we were talking about this, you know, come july if they're if they're not in contention or depending on how how they feel. You know, they could just sell off half the team, and I'm going to be sitting here looking like an ass. I'm going to be like, "What, <laughs> what the hell? I picked." And they up? would do something like that. Oh, absolutely, they would. They've
6: done it before. They've done it many times.
1: Yeah, you got to wonder at some point when they're just going to be like, "Stop doing that and try and build the team with, with the pieces that they have." But yeah,
0: you know,
6: because they they, they haven't even been close in the last few years. Uh, the Moneyball thing worked for a while. I don't know. it was because of because of uh luck or skill or or you know both but it doesn't seem to be working as well let's hope that when they that they've gone out well they went out and got these people cuz they were cheap
1: yeah that's true that's true well i think well that, there may
6: be some breakouts there let's hope
1: um uh-huh. and then uh all right the al wild card who do you have there uh boston nice okay we'll take that and uh okay so then you have facing off for uh the in the world series here who's your al and nl champions
6: Raised to spite the east, uh, to to spite the East Coast people. Wow! Again, okay. It's not a logical choice, and um, I think I wanted to say Cubs as a logical choice, but I put Dodgers just because you know, cause.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's fine. I, I have the Red Sox going all the way this year, so it's all good. And yeah, uh, I, I, you
6: know it, that that's a lot that's a lot more legitimate than Dodgers going all the way to me. I don't like it. <laughs>
1: And then, who do you have winning the World Series between the Rays and the Dodgers?
6: I'm going to say Dodgers again, just because I did the same thing last year.
1: Nice. Well, you're bound to be right one of these years. Yeah. Well, you know what? I was right
6: all the way up to I I think I was all the way, I was right all the way up to except one of the um, the uh, either the A or the NL for the for the pennant last year.
1: Yeah, you were doing really well. You I thought you were going to end up having like both teams in the World Series there, because I think you, you had, like, the Red Sox and the Dodgers, and I think you had them facing off in the World Series last year, and it, it was close. I mean, if they had yeah. won their respective, they were, you know, it could have happened. I was Yeah, wondering. well, they were, they were down to the wire. Dodgers, not so much, but... You would have claimed the championship, but... Uh,
6: yeah, I, I, I actually saw two of the playoff games last year. I right when I came back from Canada working with Paul... I, I saw, I think, yeah, it was the next day, the next evening, we went and saw him, we went and saw him beat the Phillies. I which know. was incredible. It was one of the, probably one of the best games I've been to aside from the back to back to back home run thing with the Padres a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and, um, and then I saw them the next, no, yeah, the next night when they lost. I think they lost, that was it.
1: Yeah, that was, the, that was when, yeah, they got that's, that's when
6: they went out and shook their hands and everybody, people were like clapping for them. It was like, what a, you know, what a big thing, how big of them to do that, classy thing. I think, you know what, you what you should ask people um, in future editions is what what's the most amazing thing they've ever seen at a baseball game that they've been at.
1: All right, I'll put that on the list for next year, for sure. That because really I, I want to hear those
6: stories. My, mine's that four home run deal.
1: All right, well, I've taken up quite a bit of your time. Uh, before we say goodbye, what, what's going on with you? I know you just got back from the... For the Dulce, it's Dulce, right? That's how you pronounce it?
6: Yeah, Dulce, Dulce, whatever you want to say. All right. (laughs) From the
1: (laughs) the Dulce Underground Base Conference, Uh, I know you just got back from that the other day. So uh, what's going on with you? What do you you have cooking? What can people look forward to from Greg Bishop in the future?
6: Well, I'm I'm cooking up book ideas. I was on a show last night, and they said, so what are you working on? What are you thinking of? And I said, you know what? If I talk about what I'm trying to accomplish here, I won't do it. However, I, I, I will say that um, I'm looking into the background of uh, some of the underground base rumors. Because when I went to the conference, a lot of people were kind of surprised because I said, well, I think there might have been something underground around Dulce where before I thought it was total disinformation. Now, of course, people like Michael Sala say, oh, he's come over to our side. He's finally seen the light. Like no, that's not what it means. It means that I'm considering the possibility that there was some kind of facility there underground, not an underground facility with, that had a big firefight with aliens that had people's parts and vats and blah blah blah.
1: Yeah, you just think maybe there was a base there of some kind by the government? I think maybe there was, there
6: is, or was something there, but I'm 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 looking into it. One thing I found, which is really strange, and I'm going to write on the blog here in a couple of days, was that in 1966, if you go to the U.S. Uh, U.S. Geological Survey site, there was a series for like two months almost every day of 4.5 and 5 magnitude earthquakes around Dulcie. And there is no earthquake faults there. There's never earthquakes there.
1: Yeah, that would indicate some kind of underground work going on. Yeah, work or
6: blasting or something.
1: You should talk to Richard Souter.
6: Yes, I know. I, I, I referenced him in the, uh, in uh, Project Beta and also, um, actually, I, I, uh, Michael Sala's report on the thing—he actually said something that I didn't say. Oh boy! So I, I said, "Well, if you would, you know, if people would pay more attention to solid research like Richard Souter's underground bases and tunnels, we might be able to get somewhere instead of listening to so-called whistleblowers saying that that uh, what I just said about uh, joint human-alien bases yeah. and body parts and vats and all that. But I suppose that could have happened, but come on, how you know?" How hard is it? That's going to be a little bit harder to prove than, yes, there was something there. And if somebody does prove there was an underground facility there or is, of course, all the reptilian people are going to say, see? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
6: Like, no, you said that there were reptiles and aliens under there. All, that, all that's been proven is that there was, there is or was some kind of facility there. So, you know, it goes on. You know, people just—I realize that I have a belief system, and uh, that I try to find uh, evidence to support my belief system. uh, But I admit it, and I try uh, uh, to—I try to—I try to push it away, so I'm not operating that way. That's good. I also would like—you know—I watched that episode of UFO Hunters about the underground base, which they had called me about and emailed me multiple times, and then nothing. And then I watched the show and they have John Rhodes on there talking about Nightmare Hall and reptilians and blah blah blah. Yeah. I think they you know, they they like to have things that'll make people go, What, huh? Yeah, you know, yeah. They have they had uh you know, the reptilians and the underground and the biological experiments with alien and human body parts. And they also had uh that weird thing that Gabe Valdez found that he said was a fetus of something that was all hairy and really scary looking. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, that, he showed me that like two years ago, and he's I, I, see, it on, I see it on UFO Hunters. I was like, oh, my God, there it is. What the hell is it?
1: Weird. I will, I'll give a recommendation to a good show I just watched last night, uh, Monster Quest. Obviously, that's a great show, but the episode, Alligators in the Sewer. Oh,
6: yeah, that's on my
1: TiVo. i got to watch it. Oh, my God, I watched it last night. Outstanding. It was one of the best paranormal shows I've seen in a while. Not even—it's not even really paranormal. It's just urban legend, but it was great. Lauren Coleman's all over it too. So.
6: Oh, great! Yeah, I mean, the, I'm surprised he's not all over a bunch of them because and that's one of my favorite shows right now.
1: Yeah, it's been they, really. They go out
6: good. and look for stuff, and then at the end, they almost invariably say, "Well, there might be something there, but we're not sure."
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's kind of how it ended. Was it like? They all end like that, and I like that. Yeah, at least they're not like, "No, it's impossible."
6: Yeah, or you know, you know, you decide. Meaning, we've told you everything to give you one specific opinion to make you decide. <laughs> yeah, which is how a lot of those shows operate. Yeah, um, yeah. Monster Hunters is great. You know what my other favorite show is? If you, and how could you guess? Um, oh,
1: Cities of the Underworld. Yeah, Cities of the Underworld. Yeah, it's a great show too. Yeah,
6: I'm, the the music is annoying, and the, the guy's always walking out of breath in front of the camera. But um, other than that, the shows are great. It's totally fascinating. I wish I'd thought it up.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, it's it's one of those shows. that's like, wow, this is whoever thought of that's a good. Came up with a good idea there.
6: Yeah, yeah, I I thought that was a good idea for a show. You know, a few years ago. Not that was, I came up with it, and then somebody did it. Made me so happy. So now I watch all of them.
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. So uh, so you're oh, so you're kind of working on a book, but it's in the it's in the percolating stages, we'll say so.
6: Yeah, I mean, you've got to. You know, you have a great idea for a book and then you go out and see if somebody will, you know, publish it and you you keep going down the ladder until you get to self-publish. It's like, okay, I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's tough to get a book going out there, especially yeah. nowadays. And of course, you still got the Radio Mysterioso show going on?
6: Yes, that's on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific time on killradio.org this Sunday. Um, I'm going to be on with Walter and we're going to talk about the Dulcie Conference in New Mexico and underground stuff. He's, he's a big underground, uh, Caverns, um, spaces, and and bases type person. He's very interested in that stuff, mainly because his father told him that
1: stuff really existed. All right, so folks can find out about that at uh, radiomisterioso.com.
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm the uh, server. There is not uploading shows, so I've I've uh, it's been kind of in suspended animation for about a month. I want to get that up again and working, so I can put the part two of the Ray Stanford interview up. Nice. nice. I will I will announce shows um, specific uh, interesting shows probably more through UFO Mystic because that's a little more immediate and pe- more people look at that I think.
1: Yeah, UFO Mystic is the hub. Excluded Middle obviously is your other uh, site, right? That's exclude- yeah. yeah. And I have
6: I have a weird music blog called Music Not Music.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to check that one out. I haven't heard about that. Oh, you man. should. I, I put up a,
6: a post on Argentinian um, wrestling.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. With
6: some music, too. It's great.
1: Nice. Well, Greg, uh, as always, it's great to have you on the show. You were there for me when I first started this program, and uh, you've become a really good friend of mine. So it's always great to talk to you. And now you hold the record here for most appearances on the program. Hopefully never to lose the record. I know we'll have you back next year for the year in review and the baseball special. So you'll, you'll be racking up even more appearances next year, I hope, for uh, Season 5. If I don't see you this summer, I'll see you in the not-too-distant future out there in California. Well,
6: come out. You've always got a standing invitation. And if you come out during the baseball season, of course, we'll go to a game.
1: Sounds great. That does it for the third annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. Big, big, super-huge thanks to all of the esoteric superstars who returned for this year's festivities. Richard Dolan, Paul Kimball, Lauren Coleman, Adam Gowrightly, and Greg Bishop. I really appreciate their continued support of the program and the baseball special showing a different side of themselves for the BOA Audio listeners. That's really what the special is about, taking some time to stop and smell the roses and to take the BOA Audio listeners a little bit behind the curtain to see what some of these folks are like when they're not talking about UFOs, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Since we're doing a special episode here this week, we're going to askew listener email There's a good chance, you know, somebody might have written in and then skipped the baseball special and they won't hear me reading their email. And we don't want that to happen, so we will just skip listener email this week. Let me run down the ways to get a hold of me if you want to take part in future editions of BOA Audio listener feedback. The first is simple. Just write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or go to BOA and click the contact button. It's all over the website. You should be able to find it. And the third way is a little more interactive. You can join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. We've already got quite a few new folks joining up at the forum since we've been pushing it pretty hard the last couple of weeks. We'd love to see you there at the US of E. It's a great community, and we always welcome new members. So those are the three ways to get a hold of me. Send me your guest suggestions, compliments, or criticisms. I can take it all. No worries. And if it's a particularly engaging email, we'll feature it here on BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Up next is, as always, the credits and thanks portion of the show. Hats off to the outstanding BOA staff Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Paul Black, and Lasha Seniuk. Monday through Friday, providing compelling and thought provoking reading material at the Banal of America website. We're not just a podcast. We are a multifaceted esoteric think tank. And as such, if you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at All of America, you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Chances are, if you listen to this part of the program frequently, you know what comes next. It's the donation part of the show. Every week, it seems, we lament The crumbling financial situation here in America, and I tell you folks who are having a hard time getting by that we don't want your donations. I want you to save that money. Times are tough right now. I know that. Put the money to good use, and when you get back up on your feet and when things improve, maybe then make a donation. I'd appreciate it then. But there are, of course, a lot of folks who are doing okay. They're hanging in there here during the financial crisis. Some of them have come through. Some of them are on the bubble, and we're appealing to them here asking them to go to BOA, click the PayPal button and make a donation. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping Banal of America and BOA Audio up and running and freely available for all of our great listeners and readers the world over. Next week on the program, it is an esoteric jam session with Micah A. Hanks, creator of the ultra-popular blog, The Grailian Report. We're going to be talking about a number of ufological and cryptozoological subjects, including the recurring stories and legends of human and ape hybridization, subterranean monsters and the shaver mystery, the UFO ghost connection, alternative explanations for the Travis Walton abduction, the Bigfoot body hoax of 2008, ufology's public relations problem, presidents and UFO disclosure, the bizarre bloop mystery of the deep sea, And much, much more. It is a wide-ranging interview covering a myriad of fringe topics in the world of esoterica with rising paranormal star Micah A. Hanks. If you haven't heard of Micah A. Hanks, folks, you will be in the future. I'm sure you'll definitely be hearing about him and from him next week on BOA Audio. He is definitely a researcher to watch in today's paranormal world. He'll be on the program next week. You'll be getting to know Micah A. Hanks on BOA Audio. And on that note, we close out the program. Once again, huge thanks to all of the great folks who returned here for the BOA Audio Baseball Special. Richard Dolan, Paul Kimmel, Lauren Coleman, Adam Go Rightly, and Greg Bishop. And of course, enormous thanks to all of the great BOA audio listeners. I know we're only reaching probably a fraction of our normal listening audience here because some folks are just not into the baseball special. But for the folks who are and who stuck around and who enjoyed this year's special, come on back. We'll have it again next year, I promise. Next week we return to pure esoteric discussion with Micah A. Hanks. Until then, this is Tim Benall thanking you for listening and signing off.